Hey guys, a new set of products coming your way. Um, I get these questions a lot, so I decided to go ahead and um, give you guys the items that I use to produce this podcast. Um, so here they are. The Bose Micro Soundlink, or Soundlink Micro rather. Uh, excellent quality. If you've heard any of my guest interviews, uh, that is primarily what I use to go ahead and do FaceTimes over, you know, any distance interviews or anything like that. So if you've heard any of those, you can hear the quality of the uh, audio. It's pretty good. Um, so the sound quality is out there. The bass is really good. Um, you can take it anywhere with you. Uh, it's good for phone calls as well. Waterproof. So you can take it out on the lake, you know, if you want to go ahead and use it on the water, take it on hikes, you could do that too. It has a durable strap on it, so that way you can strap it to your backpack, uh, handle on the cooler, anything like that, and take it with you, and it'll stick with you everywhere. Uh, obviously, it's Bluetooth, so you can pair it with your phone. Um, has a six-hour runtime, so pretty good. And the, like I said, for the level of quality of sound, you're going to get pretty solid six hours out of that. Um, you can also, a pretty cool feature that I personally haven't used yet because I only have one of them, but you can actually pair this Bluetooth speaker with other uh, Bose Bluetooth speakers and actually have them run in sync so you can spread the sound out. So like if you have a song playing on, you know, from your phone to the speaker, you can link another speaker to that speaker and you'll just have like two speakers in different spots playing the same music, which is pretty dope. Uh, the other item that I use to record, uh, which a lot of people ask me this one in particular, is the Blue Yeti mic. Uh, you can't go wrong with the Blue, Diet, Blue, Diet, Blue, 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 Blue Yeti mic. It, I mean, if you've heard any of the episodes, obviously, they sound awesome. And I'm using a Blue Yeti mic to record this as we speak. So the Blue Yeti mics, uh, the one that I have linked for you guys in the description has the whole setup. So it's not just the mic. Um, but it comes with everything else I use to mount it and make it really convenient to use. So this is a USB mic, obviously. Uh, no latency delays, so your inputs are pretty spot on. You can hear them in real time when you say something or if you're someone who's more into music. If you're using it for music purposes, all your inputs will be pretty spot on. Um, the microphone comes with... Uh, a nice, easy-to-use uh, bass, so you don't have to use the armature that I've linked for you. It comes with its standalone bass that you can just have the mic set up pretty much anywhere. You don't really need to uh, set up the armature. But it also comes with that removable bass. Uh, four different recording modes. So you got stereo, which is standard. You know, any mic will give you that. Uh, cardioid, which is pretty good too. Omnidirectional, uh, bidirectional. Uh, multiple recording situations so anybody in the room like if you have more than one person on the podcast you can have that set up so it records everybody in the room if you're facing each other you can have the microphone set up so that it will pick up directly in front of it and behind it and then also if you're using just uh, if you want to record almost like 180 degrees it has a mode for that and obviously if it's just you which is the way I usually use it um, you have that option too so Pretty versatile, awesome. But the uh, bundle that I've linked for you, it includes not only the microphone. This In this particular bundle, it'll be a red, satin red color uh, for the microphone. But you can see other bundles there that will give you different colors and stuff and similar setups. Um, but this one, the one that I've uh, set up for you, it will have the... Uh, 
kind of like a filter in front of it. So it kind of saves the hard S's and stuff like that out of the audio. It makes it sound smoother. It's almost like a buffer. Uh, you're going to get that. You're going to get mount for it. And then you're also going to get the uh, susp suspension arm for it. So it'll be an adjustable armature that you can move back and forth and tighten it up or loosen it up. It's spring-loaded. It has these little straps on it, which keeps the wire out of the way. It's pretty awesome, but that's what I use. And you still have the ability to um, get the iRobots, um, the home cleaning systems, and that is 43% uh, up to select models. This offer is good until May 9th. So at that point, I'll probably do another ad and make uh, a new list of products for you guys to take a look at. Um I went over this before, but these robots are pretty handy. Um, you can schedule uh, cleaning times with the app or with your voice assistant like Alexa, Google, whatever it is. Um, it cleans carpet and hardwood, gets corners and edges. Uh, you also have sensors that help the uh, vacuum navigate furniture, corners, keeps it from falling downstairs. Um, so you don't really have to, to not you don't really have to worry about where it goes. Uh, it'll have sensors on it that can detect dirtier areas and it'll go there and clean those areas more thoroughly. So that's pretty awesome. You don't really have to monitor how well it cleans. It's pretty solid. Um, and it has a 90 minute runtime before it has to be uh, docked back on the charging station. And it does that automatically. Once it knows that the battery is low, it'll just mosey on over to the charging station and uh, mount right up. You don't even have to worry about it dying, you know, somewhere unless it gets caught on something. But like I said, the sensors are pretty good. I have one in my home. It does a great job. Uh, all I have to do is just empty out the, I guess, the storage space for whatever it picks up. Just got to empty that once in a while. But other than that, it's pretty low maintenance. Works really well. So uh, check those out. Links are in the description. And enjoy the episode. Hola, amigos. It is episode seven, seven. And with me, very special guest, Dave Spiro. Uh, owner and founder of Spiro's, they call it, you, you, you changed the name, right? It's not mixed martial arts anymore. Is it uh jujitsu? Uh, uh, it's, we, we changed the name to, to Spiro's martial arts Academy, but we also have, we're an affiliate PTT school. So we're Brazilian top team Plasto. So you can go by either name. Okay. So I'm going to call it the way I, I always known it. Spiro's martial arts Academy. That's, That's the way I like it anyways. But, uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you very much for showing up, man. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I think the last time I saw you here wasn't quite as long. No, no, Freddie. I don't know if you heard Freddiani's episode. I did an episode with him, and he was he was saying the same thing. My hair is fucking long now. It's probably down to my. What episode? Uh, Freddiani. Freddiani was episode five. So oh, I haven't heard that one. Yet. Like two Wait, episodes you put ago. Freddiani on over me. Oh, he asked me first. <laughs> he just, he was just like, uh, oh, so you can have pretty much whoever you want on, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it, you know. I mean, as long as you can hold the conversation, then you know. But you, I know you're you're very you're very cool, very cool as a cucumber. Yeah. So I, I know you'll do well, fine. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's happened since I've left? I mean, I haven't been to the school in a while. So you guys have obviously grown. I've seen some of the pictures of the uh, the belt testing and stuff. You guys have a lot of people, a lot of new faces too. I've seen a lot of new faces there. Yeah, I mean the the school is doing well. Uh, mm. I think the last time I saw you was at my fight. Yeah, it was uh, Fe February second, two thousand nineteen. So it's yeah. been a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, you know you weren't at the school in the time so just to yeah. see you again and have you come out and, and support me man that meant a lot to me and i know oh, absolutely. our friendships on beyond the gym yeah which is um which is great and it's always nice to see that as an instructor mm-hmm. when you see your students carry relationships on past the gym you know that's really the goal but mm-hmm. the, the gym's doing well um you know with the COVID thing gave us a little bit of a hit. I'm sure you know, we were forced to shut down in March yeah. and uh, we, were, we were down till uh, the state said we could legally open. And once we did, we had a protocol in place that was, we already had a protocol in place once they said we were ready to open. So we were kind mm-hmm. of two steps ahead, that jujitsu mentality. Yeah. Um, and when we did set up the protocol and we compared it to what the state had, we were actually well beyond what their necessary requirements were for social distancing, for cleanliness of the mats and, things like that so i was happy with that and um thankfully uh the majority of our students stayed mm-hmm. and the, the people that left do plan on coming back when they feel comfortable and right. we picked up a ton of new students because yeah i mean you don't you don't want it to happen but it does happen gyms go out of business because they're just not uh financially sound and uh something like this COVID thing was a, a mixed blessing you feel bad yeah. for the businesses that, that mm-hmm. go under but you, you'd capitalize on the students that come in that are looking for a new gym yeah and i think also that uh that's something some groundwork on your part because first of all you guys have always been clean i think if uh you know anybody who's trained there you know you guys are always spraying down the mats you guys are always wiping things down you're, you're taking the extra time to do that and anybody who's rolled there you know they kind of know that and then also People wouldn't come back if they didn't enjoy your program, you know what I mean, the, the way you did things. That would be an opportunity for them to take to essentially, you know, tap out. <laughs> but um, it's uh, one of those things that I think it's uh, it's a good look on you guys, a good, a good look on you too, because I know who you are, how you are as an instructor. And, you know, I've, you know, you're not going to bash somebody for something, you know, it's, it's to me, you know, it, it, it's a good look on you guys for sure. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, so here's something that I actually, I, I really want to get into. How did it feel? I don't, I think we ever spoke about how it actually felt you being in there again for your last fight and then being able to actually hold the belt up. Like that to me is something that I haven't, I, I'm probably not going to taste, but it's, it's something I'd like to definitely get your insight on for sure. Yeah, man. Um, I know it's a lot of motion and stuff. Let's rewind back a little bit. Sure. You know, um, the, the reality is I got into jujitsu and mixed martial arts at 27 mm-hmm. and that that's old. Right. Let's be real. Like to start at 27 and to say, Oh yeah, I'm going to go somewhere with it, you mm-hmm. know, at an extremely high level, yeah. probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and given that, you know, my original, uh, choice of work masonry mm-hmm. was something I've been doing since I was seven, my body's already taken a beating. Right. So I'm, I was on borrowed time from 27 on and mm-hmm. uh, I originally started looking for something to do because I was um, going through a divorce at the time right. and uh, I had a lot of free time on my hands mm-hmm. and said, you know what, you know, I saw this UFC stuff when I was 15, people were kicking their teeth out. I'm like, let's <laughs> stay away from that. And, yeah. You know, let, let, let's try to, you know, let's try this jujitsu thing. It doesn't <laughs> seem very aggressive, right. you know, mm-hmm. And, you know, I walked into a jiu-jitsu school and, and kind of fell in love with it from there. But, um, you know, from you know, for, from 27 to I think I was 40 when I when I won the belt, mm-hmm. it was just a culmination of the feelings were they, were they were overwhelming. It was a culmination of all the blood, sweat, tears, yep. ups, downs, injuries, um, you know, comebacks, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of naysayers, a lot of people talking online. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was just a good 
uh, feeling to say, this is my goal. I wanted to get an amateur title belt. You know, yeah. it wasn't a lofty goal that was unobtainable, right. but it was a goal that was still challenging to me because of my, my, um, my age, yeah. you know, and my, my physical, uh, detriments that mm -hmm. a lot of people really don't know about. They just think, oh, he's just, he's just complaining or he's a whiner, but yeah. you've seen it firsthand. I mean, you've known some of the stuff that I've, that I've gone through and, and the physical, um, um, limitations that I had to overcome, but mm -hmm. In, long long story short, when that when I had that belt, um, it was just a huge relief mm. because I didn't have to prove anything to myself. I don't do I never did MMA. To, you're getting out of the ear, the real insight now. I never, <laughs> did, uh, <laughs> I never did MMA to prove anything to anybody but myself that I could do it. Right. That was it. The only reason I really got into it was to prove that I could do it right. um, to myself. And you know, jujitsu is really my first love. MMA mm -hmm. is great. I love teaching MMA. We had a great class yesterday. I taught a lot of Muay Thai stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's got such a short shelf life. Yeah. And, you know, it's more injury prone than jujitsu. Mm -hmm. um, jujitsu, you can either train hard or you can train smart. You can't mm -hmm. train both. Right. Uh, if you train hard, inevitably you're going to get injured. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter how careful you are mm -hmm. or, you know, how careful your, your, your teammate is. Um, but in MMA, I mean, I saw it two weeks ago, you know, it was just a simple takedown guy got a boat at body lock, uh, mm. did an outside leg trip from the back and, uh, the kid sprained his ankle, you know, and, yeah. you know, was in it, he's going to be out, he's going to air cast, going to be out for a couple of weeks, but it was just something so simple that, mm -hmm. you know, you, it's just, it's body on body contact. It's striking. It's, there's always a chance you're going to get hurt, you know, right. but to hold that belt was great. And, mm -hmm. uh, I got nothing else to prove to myself. I get the itch every once in a while to go back. If I go back, it's going to be at a pro level. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was just, it was, I don't want to be cocky, but I was surprised. I expected it to be a harder fight. I didn't mm -hmm. expect it to be, to last a minute 30. Yeah. Um, I know Duncan, uh, very well. I, I was one of his coaches on the second MMA fight ever. We go mm -hmm. way back yeah. and I've got nothing but respect for him, but you know, if he hears this, he's going to be surprised, but I was actually, I respected his jujitsu because he talks so much shit mm. online about, I've always wanted to tap a black belt out, guess it'll be first for everything. Yeah. You know, that lit a fire under me, but yeah. it also made me, it also made me respect him. Uh, and I was like, oh man, he's not going to do Muay Thai, I bet he's going to try to take me down. And maybe he's been working on some jujitsu thing that, yeah. you know, I don't know about. And um, so I was surprised and because it was so easy, I feel like maybe Pro would be the next jump for me. Yeah. I mean, we're only talking two more minutes and elbows to the face, knees to the face. It's not right. really that much of a difference anymore. Right. Um, but then as soon as I decided to start training and make a comeback, Boom. I separated my shoulder two months ago. Jeez. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's not healing. But I think also going off one of your points that you made, um, it's uh, if you're doing MMA and you're doing these like high risk, uh, you know, combat sports, anything like that, you're not going to last if you're doing it for somebody else and you're not doing it for yourself. You know what I mean? I feel like the grit is gone when you're doing it for somebody else or you're doing it to prove something to somebody else. It, it's not the same. It's not the same drive. It's not the same dream. You're not achieving a dream. You're just trying to prove a point. And when you do that, and on top of that, you're putting your, your body at risk day in and day out, it's, you're going to crumble. You know what I mean? You're going to crack. And I don't think that you wouldn't have raised that belt if it wasn't you doing it for you you know what i mean especially yeah, yeah yeah and especially you know when you're getting up there in age you know you can't take the same risks as someone my age you know what i mean who's in their young 20s and can bounce back quick enough 
You know what I mean? You're only doing it for yourself. I can only, uh, I can only, um, compare it to, if you've ever seen the last, I think it was the second to last, no, it was the last Rocky mm-hmm. when he decided to go back in the ring and fight right. that guy, the young kid. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, your hands are all messed up. You can't do any, any of this. Or, you know, you got to work on it. And it was like, I had to, I had to change my fight camp and I couldn't train like I did when I was in my early thirties. And, yeah. um, a lot of it was uh, preventative maintenance. Shout out to Cameron cryo. Uh, Cameron mm-hmm. Chiropractic, Dr. Dr. Paul over in uh, Londonderry, he he was uh, instrumental in, in keeping me injury free. It was the first fight I really, I've been injured in every fight I've gone into, and this is the first fight I can say um, I was injury free. And, wow. and it was a lot of pain and sacrifice doing it. Like, I'm not going to say it was fun being on that table when he was stretching all my ligaments, but he gave me two more inches on my reach by, by wow. fight camp. And uh, yeah, and uh, the cryotherapy kept all the inflammation down in my body, so... Uh, huge thanks to him. I mean, I don't think I would have been able to get to the fight the way I did if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, um, my my team uh, at the time, you know, at the gym, it was it was Jake Pilla, mm-hmm. uh, it was Orion Sean, it was um, uh, my whole my whole crew that that got me ready for that fight. Um, Curtis Stilfen was there doing the striking. Yeah. Um, we've had so many instructors come in and out. You know, I don't think I've had the same. Uh, corners from my, any of any of my fights they've all changed yeah you know and so i've been able to win with with different corners which is odd you don't see that much right. but yeah. um you know they really got me ready and uh, they got me to grind i think doomsday came in a couple of times for mm-hmm. um for my camp um you know and, and it was just it was it was instrumental and i mean it, it takes everybody to, to raise a champion it wasn't just me yeah it was it was every aspect of it my wife you know, prepping my meals and making sure I had good food, you know, and I had energy and, you know, the discipline on my part to not want to stay up and work and go, go to bed at like an early hour. And, um, you know, it's just, it is, and you're right. You do have to train careful when you're my age and you have to, I, even my fight game, when my first, my first three or four fights, it was straightforward Mm -hmm. hockey fights, you know, half plum, you know, or a 50, 50 call time, just throwing uppercuts and punches. And Mm -hmm. now it's like, okay, I got kicked in the head. I'm good. I'm going to rush in, take you down. Yeah. You know, and and play my game. So yeah, yeah you're right. You're you're right on that point. And a physical aspect is one thing. You know what I mean. But the mental aspect, I think, is a complete other thing. So separate that for a little bit, because I, I think you know it's one thing to have an injury and you know being able to fight through that pain, but it's another thing to to have that mental game when you 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 have a lot of maybe it may not be in your case, but there I I would imagine at that age I'm having a lot of personal doubts about uh you know like if i have if i can keep up with a younger uh opponent or if i i haven't been in the cage in how long so how am i gonna you know adapt with that is it gonna come right back is it gonna be something that i have to uh talk myself into uh did you go through anything like that like mental aspect of it um this doubts i mean of course there's doubts and you know um you you think there's going to be ring rust and um i thought there was going to be ring rust when i got in i thought i was going to freeze um and nobody knows this nobody was with me you know two hours before my fight i was up in my hotel room i stayed at at the show okay uh in downtown manchester and Mm -hmm. i was in my hotel room and i pulled the covers over my head and um i wanted to start getting the sweat but um I was, I had, I can only explain it as there were two people on my shoulders. One was the positive, the angel, one was the devil, mm-hmm. the negative. Yeah. And the devil was like, 
you know, you, it was those thoughts. You're old, you know, you, mm -hmm. are you going to have the cardio? Can you go five rounds? I've yeah. never fought five rounds before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my last two or three fights have been, you know, quick ones. First round, I, you know, I went from my beginning of my career going three round decisions to the end of my career finishing quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden you'd hear the positive being like, no, F you, F that, don't listen to that shit. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, and, and like, it was this battle, this mental battle in my head and you're really getting an insight into it. Cause I don't think I've explained this to anybody, but. Right. And I, I never, I just, and like, not to interrupt you, but I just never got the chance to ask, you know what I mean? I've, I, I never really, uh, after that, we kind of, um, haven't spoken as much. And then, you know, I, it, I, I know at the time, you know, you were, everybody sh i mean you had a lot of support out there when you uh when you were in that fight and a lot of people showed up and you were hugging and all that and you know i i appreciated seeing that happen you know what i mean and then you know after being in a fight you're not really i'm sure you were tired and all that so i was like eh, I'll, I'll i'll catch him i'll catch up with him sometime and so now is my chance so that's why i'm asking <laughs> and here we are and here we are yeah so <laughs> Uh, luckily i was able to uh to get a hold of you and we can and we can have we can do this because it, to me it's you know it's something that i've never experienced i've i would you know you see ufc champions and you see uh bellator champions and you know they they give you the camera speech you know what i mean they they kind of you don't really unless you've been around this person and you've you've helped them get to this fight you kind of don't really get to see what really goes through their heads you know they they got to put on the facade which I understand, but uh, this this is something that you know, I've I if you want to explain, you know, go as far as you want with it. I'm I'm interested. I'm listening. I I'm I'm gonna put this out there, and mm -hmm. and if you disagree with it, uh, if you're a fighter and you disagree with this, then I think you're just fooling yourself. I think mm -hmm. every fighter at one point in their career, whether it's before their fight or during their camp, doubt themselves. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. Really, I believe that. I think they have they second guess themselves. Did I train hard enough? You know, it was this, you know, you always second guess, you know, the thought process. I've seen plenty of fighters that I've cornered, you know, wicked nervous right up to the point where they walk out there, mm -hmm. you know, and then when they you walk out there, you have to push those emotions down. But um, the best way I could explain it is if you ever have you ever seen Cowboy Cerrone's speech about when he's warming up backstage and he's got to get the bitch out of him. Yeah. Got to get the bitch yeah. out of him. Got, yep. that, I mean, that was that he hit it spot on. And I think people love Cowboy because he's so. Um, straightforward and he, and he speaks from the heart he doesn't right. he doesn't put on that facade right. you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's refreshing to see that yeah yeah absolutely um and cowboy is a is a great he was a he's a he's definitely like the people's champ you know what i mean i mean he how many fights does he have like he's he's well into the 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 win column you know what i mean so a couple fights here and there that he's been losing i don't think he's losing any fans in the process you know what I mean? I don't think he's losing any fans. He's definitely a Hall of Famer, you know, on top of that. So I don't think anybody's going to have trouble with Cowboy, you know, doing his thing. He's, he's always going to be Cowboy. And I think you have to have that mentality, especially if you're in the fight game. And if you're not doubting yourself, and, and this is coming from, mind you, ladies and gentlemen, this is coming from somebody who only trained a year, so what the fuck do I really know? But the, the truth of the matter is, if you're not doubting yourself, I don't think you're checking all the boxes. I, I think you have to check yourself in ways that, you know, nobody else is going to check you. Because that's just being honest with yourself, and you're going to know if you're coming up short on something, I think. But I don't okay. think if, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. I'm, I'm done. Go ahead. 
So Hicks and Gracie said it um, best. He said, everyone's afraid when they get in the cage. Mm -hmm. He said, if you're not afraid, you're a fool. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that because the fear keeps you sharp. Mm -hmm. If you go into a fight thinking that you're untouchable and you're, you're never going to lose and you don't respect your opponent, mm -hmm. that's when you get caught and you look like a fool. Right. And I, w I would say the best example of that in my career was when I fought uh, Corey Bohall. And uh, I was told at the time, oh, if you beat him, you can go, you can fight for title. And I'm like, no problem. I'm just going to blow through this kid. He's not that good. He's mm -hmm. just a striker. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And I didn't, I, I took the fight camp seriously, but I didn't take him seriously. I was looking fast. Mm -hmm. Huge mistake on my part. Uh, I got clipped with a head kick and that was what he was known for. And I knew he was going to throw a head kick. We trained it. Mm -hmm. And I still got, he was so fast and he yeah. was so strong. And he clipped me with that head kick and I had my hand up to block it and still hit me with it and not rock me, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, okay, I'm down, recover. I started like trying to kick with my legs and right. around and I tried to, you know, uh, thread a heel hook and um, he threw a big shot and I turned over and he started uh, hitting me. But, and I think if he had a little bit more control, he would have won that fight. He mm -hmm. hit me in the back of the head like six times. Yeah. And um, that, that fight, was I ended up winning that fight via DQ, not how anybody wants to win. Right. I get that. Um, but the consequences of that fight uh, followed me for many, many months. I couldn't see straight for three to four months. Wow. And I had headaches. I had headaches for almost a year. Wow. I was really messed up for that fight. Nobody really knows that. I don't talk much about it. But sure. um, it, it's um, this is a fight, ladies and gentlemen, mm -hmm. you know, and it's and it's uh, and it, 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 people are trying to hurt each other and do bodily harm. We're not trying to make friends and high five each other. So, right. um, at the end of the day, you have to respect that. You have to have a little bit of fear inside you, and you have to think, okay, you know, I could seriously get hurt. I need to be on top of my game. I need to be sharp. Mm -hmm. Now, did you feel like uh, now? How has your experience played into uh, into your train of thought? You know what I mean? Because when you're a younger fighter, I think you're you feel much more invincible you're you're thinking a lot differently when you're when you're younger and you you're you're you know you're you're just so amped for the fight and then now going into it at an older age do you feel like your mentality's changed at all if it has in what ways has your experience changed your mentality towards the fight yeah uh it, i i think 100 percent as you age and as you um gain experience in the fight game you you get smarter mm -hmm. about how you fight um when i at least from my experience when i first started training my first three fights were with a different school um and then i had opened my own school with, with those first three fights i did everything my coaches said i believed in my coaches 100 percent I focused on trying to, you know, train, get sponsors, um, you know, social media and, you know, getting my name out there and getting popular. And what I really should have focused on was, all right, what's my opponent doing? Is he posting videos? Mm. Uh, you know, like my, my later career fight yeah. fights, I spent more time studying my opponent, studying their previous fights. Um, you know, okay, he drops his hand when he throws his kick or, you know, oh, most of his fights he gets, he's easy to take down mm -hmm. this way or, so you get a little bit smarter in your old age about, I want to get in, I want to do my work, and I want to get out. When I was younger, I want, I want a war, I want blood, I want... It's different now. The the, the zest is gone for mm. the perfect storm. Right. I want to get in, get the win, move on, shake hands. And this is going to sound horrible um, <laughs> it, from a fighter's perspective, but yeah. I, 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 I just don't want to hurt anybody anymore. Mm -hmm. It's weird. 
I, w- I want to do, and that's maybe why I just gravitate towards jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I would like to get you out of there as quick as possible without hurting you. Because in the end, I train with all these people. They're all part of this community right. in New England. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's different when you're fighting guys from different countries and you'll never see them again. Sure. <clears throat> but I like Duncan a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, even in that fight, I, I, if you watch it, I really took my time and picked my shots. I wasn't trying to haul off and hit him, you know, behind the ear or, you know, mess him up or, it was just very small enough to get him to turn, give me his back and finish. Like, you know, almost like Damian Maya right. would do, just enough to to make them move and get get them where they want to be. And mm-hmm. I, I don't have that kill instinct anymore, where I want to just somebody's leg off, or I can do it, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to do it. And right. I think that's when it's time to say we need to move on. We can train somebody else that has that 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 thing. I've got another kid, you know what I mean? I'm settling down, I'm getting older, and I just, mm-hmm. it's not to say I won't do it. I do in a real situation, but where I like these people I'm fighting against, and I don't have any hurts, most of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them I do. <laughs> most of them I really like, yeah. and uh, and I don't want to hurt them. Right. You know? I can definitely understand that. I mean, because especially if you're in that circuit, you're taking talent out of the circuit, you know what I mean? And you kind of need all the looks you can get, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I think... W- the uh the new england community is coming up in a lot of different ways and you know to take talent out of the mix it only hurts everybody else you know what i'm saying so yeah that you know some people want that bloodshed some people want i'm gonna put him in the hospital i'm gonna break his arm whatever the case may be but you also got to think this is uh you you're you're in some cases you're at the amateur level you know what i mean how hard are you really gonna how hard do you really want to go against this guy you want to get the win or do you want to sacrifice your body in the process just to get another fight in an amateur circuit? You know what I mean? I think you should go harder at the pro level or probably at the, you know, when you're getting into some of the big leagues and some of the big uh, competitions. But to me, I don't know. Would you, do you think like at the amateur level, you should be going as hard as you would if you were at the pro level or at the, uh, you know, at the higher level like that? Well, I think uh, the amateur level from a coach's perspective, when I put my fighters in at an amateur level, uh, I'm trying to get them experience. Right. And in a way, this again, this is going to sound horrible, but I, I'm straight up with my fighters. Anybody that's ever mm-hmm. um, fought under me will tell you that, especially if you start rattling off wins, I want you to lose. Yeah. I want you to lose at an amateur level. Right. Not bad, but I want you to taste defeat. Yeah. And the reason why I want you to taste defeat is because that will show me what kind of a fighter you are more than your wins. If right. you can bounce back from that mentally mm-hmm. and you can you can come back and win and not just kind of skirt by but but focus train and win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then I want you then then I'll consider you pro level material. Yeah. If you mentally can't bounce back after a loss at an amateur level, you're fighting. You don't have what it takes to be and it's sad to say it but most of the people um, that do fight don't have what it takes to be fighters that fight at an amateur level. Let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. Don't have what it takes to be professional fighters or take it to a different level. They can't mm-hmm. handle a loss. They can't bounce back from a loss mentally. It's not physical. Yeah. I've had some specimens in my gym. I mm-hmm. mean, top tier athletes. Yeah. And then they'll leave or they'll go somewhere else because somebody will be chirping in their ear and there's no loyalty in the sport anymore. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great recruiters in the sport. There's no great coaches. Yeah. Coaches are a rarity. Everybody's a recruiter. Oh, come train here. Let's all oh, win better here. I'm, I'm over it. I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. I put my time and we've got title belts in my wall, at least for me, my age. I don't need to go out there like a maniac and win anymore. For me, it was just yeah. the experience. I enjoyed it. And, and 
yeah, you rip them off convincingly because that's what gets those bigger promotions mm-hmm. aware of you. If you're yeah. boring and you're sitting there and have this like strategic boxing match and it's pitta patter and it's not exciting, you know, and you don't have really show any good wrestling and you don't have any big takedowns with fans like, or you don't do any crazy stuff like, uh, you know, as much as I really can't stand the guy, Michelle Pereira, he's a showman. People <laughs> right. want to see what he's going to do. They want to see him do that rolling thunder kick. They want to see him dance when he you know, runs on the. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. So you got to have a combination of mental toughness. Mm-hmm. You got to have uh, a combination of smarts, um, both inside the cage and outside the cage. You know, you got to have the UFC is looking for how many followers you have, how interactive are you on social media. Mm. Um, you know, you got to have the um, the flair. You've got to have the ability to uh, win in any situation. There was a time, I, I know some UFC fighters that I've talked to where the matchmaker would tell them, okay, today you're going to be a kickboxer. You can't do jujitsu today. And he'll, they'll be like, well, I'm a jujitsu guy. No, this is what you're doing today. They, they would tell them what? how to fight their fights. Wow, I didn't know that. they wanted to come back and get another fight. Yeah, so oh, they dangle that carrot in front of you. How badly do you want to be 30. here? Yeah. That's yeah. that's crazy. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, so, I mean, the fight game is a dirty game, and you really have to you got to know how to roll with the punches, but you really have to be the whole package. And what I was saying was Calvin Cater right now is probably the best shot in New England MMA of right. having the whole package. Right. That kid can wrestle and that kid can, can do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows it yet because he hasn't really had to use it. Right. Um, but he was one of my first training partners when I came up in the sport. We were at uh, Premier Martial Arts together. And uh, he was only like two fights deep into his pro career. Mm-hmm. I got to train with him for, for quite a while until he moved to – uh, sit your tongue and he moved down to the Boston area, but he, uh, he has the whole package. He's, he's, uh, not hard on the eyes mm-hmm. without trying to sound very no. saying it. I'm sure he won't be offended. He's good on the microphone. Yeah. You know, he's good. He's easy to interview, which mm-hmm. is important. Right. He's not dropping F bombs every five seconds and they got to, you know, mute it out. Yeah. He's got a good following. Um, he wins exciting. He wins by knockout. You know, he's, 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 he's feared in that division as far as his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's hard to take down. Yeah. So I, I, I can't wait to see who he's fighting next. And, and, you know, I think, I think he's going to do really well in the sport, but it's been a while. I don't see anybody else really that that's come up that that's going to have that whole package. I really don't. Um, yeah. It, there's always some kind of, you know, he's good, but you know, or yeah. he's good, but he's missing this or, so I, I hope he does well. I mean, I know Calvin's um, had two, two or three calls to the UFC, and he went on his time, you know. And he's that's he's got my respect for that. He didn't go when they they forced him to go or said you got to cut thirty pounds in a week. Wow. He went when he was ready to go. Wow. And that, that I mean, look how it's working out. I mean, all for the better. I think he did things the right way, and he can say that at the end of the day. You know what I mean? He he. I don't think. I mean, I don't know him personally, but doesn't seem like he'll have very many regrets with the way he did things he's in there doing his thing now and you know he's he's really gaining he's really starting to gain traction yeah and and you know his um his time is now you mm-hmm. know at his age this is this is the peak of his career right. and um if he wants to make a move for that belt this this is his time and he's capitalizing on it it seems like he's rising to the occasion so i mean i would like to see him fight um Max Holloway, I think that would be a great fight. Yeah, it would uh, be. They both they both can strike. Yep. Max has um, you know, been up and down in his last couple of fights. 
I think Calvin's coming up, and I, I think mm-hmm. this would really put him on the map. I mean, let's be real. He beats the beat. We yep. know he beat him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just he was just too late to the game with you know the, the short rounds. Yeah. If they went five rounds, I think Calvin would have demolished him. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so just to switch it up a little bit, you obviously you you run a jujitsu school. Um, so speak to that a little bit. It I'm sure you now you're in. Uh, I know you have two kids, but uh, you're now you're in a in a much uh, bigger parent role. I feel when you when you're talking about you know having students and you know kind of training them because you train you train kids too so now you you're like a full-time dad like all the time it's almost like (laughs) my life is crazy right now like i i i tell people i said you want to know what it's like running a gym go watch that show kingdom on netflix have you seen it uh bits and pieces but i haven't like i think i got through two or three episodes i haven't gotten like i it didn't grip me enough to bring me all the way through uh the first season's kind of slow but the second and third season really light up and yeah. i'd be watching this before my wife started watching it with me mm-hmm. and i would just bust out laughing at the most like obscure thing and she didn't know why and i'm like that's the crap i go through every day you know <laughs> which, which grimy coach is trying to come in and take my fighters and bring them somewhere else yeah. or, you know you know who, who's trying to undermine me or which <laughs> promoter is trying to throw my my fighter to the wolves or yeah. who's knocked up the other other fighter you know it's, <laughs> it's crazy you know it's just like uh, mma fighting fight the fight game is fun to me mm-hmm. i don't need to do it right it's not going to make me any money right it's not going to make me any more popular people know the most the people that come to my gym come to my gym because they want to learn yeah. They don't come there because they want to be UFC fighters. Yeah, I just happen to make them. So, like the slogan I had with my other coach was, "We make them, they take them." That's the reality. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it is what it is. I don't even care. I really don't. I don't mm-hmm. lose any sleep over it. I don't lose any sleep over people that leave the school because I don't really have. I mean, I've guys guys that want to quote unquote fight, mm-hmm. but I'm like, dude, you know what? Show me something. Don't tell me. Yeah. And if I think you're, I think you're worth my time, and I think mm-hmm. you're worth me training. I'll train you and then somebody will come along and take you and I really don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I I get more fun and more satisfaction out of teaching some little kid Mm -hmm. how to throw a a mean double leg or, you know, my son just got his, um, his purple belt and we have an MMA program for kids that Mm -hmm. the belt system is similar to karate belts where it goes, you know, white, yellow, orange. Orange, Mm -hmm. Um, Let me think green blue purple yeah brown black brown red black Mm -hmm. and there's been discussion about oh belt systems we don't have a belt system for our Dell mma program but i think for the kids it's it's necessary because they need to feel a sense of satisfaction or accomplishment or that they're growing they're rising you know and and it keeps them engaged because kids nowadays don't have any attention span they're on their phones you know 24 7 yep so I get more satisfaction out of that. My son just got his purple, which I'm really happy about. And um, he didn't like MMA for the longest time. It, it was hard to get him to go, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. My nephew is in it. My nephew is is a stud. He's doing really well. He's the same age. And I'm like, man, why can't, why, why can't he be like that? Why can't he focus more and be like that? You know, and, and he's starting to do it now, which is great. But, yeah. you know, as a parent, um, there's, very, there's a lot of similarities running a gym. And, and raising, quote unquote, raising yeah. these kids up, you mm-hmm. know, in the sport and then raising your own family, you kind of treat them the same. 
You know, you're, yeah. you're the, you're the bad guy when you have to be, you mm-hmm. discipline them when you have to be. Yep. Um, and you know, you, you coach them when you have to be, and then you're the, you're the dad, you good job. I'm proud of you when you have to be. So yeah, very similar. Yeah. And, uh, now you, you've had your black belt for two years. I'm coming up on three in December. Actually, my professor was up last, uh, yesterday. He reminded me, he's like, Hey, coming up on your first tip in December. I'm like, yep, I hope we still have jujitsu <laughs> and we don't have a second round of COVID. <laughs> And I know you uh, actually when you I remember when you got your, your belt, you uh, spoke to the, the school um, after the fact. Uh, how is it? And I know I know the answer to this question already. But uh, how do you feel getting achieving that belt? Has has it changed you at all? Has it changed your mentality at all? Has it uh, has it uh, how has it been having your belt these years? Has it sunk in? Has it is, does it still feel you know, does it still feel nostalgic, uh, not nostalgic, but uh, euphoric? Is it something that, you know, how do you, how does it feel now? How does it, has it changed since you got it? Has it changed you since before you had it? I'm a very, yeah, I'm, I'm a very um, goal oriented person. If I don't have mm-hmm. a goal in front of me, I, I kind of just melt. Yeah. Um, so for me, getting the black belt was great. And then, you know, my next goal is obviously to get, two stripes on my belt because once you have two stripes you can start making your own black belts you don't have to have your professor you know say uh, okay he's worthy or wh- whatever right. right and daniel's really good about that he's like hey you see the guys more than i do you know if they're, they're right. worth it or not we have a black belt at my school you remember chuck right yep yep yeah chuck chuck's a black belt he got it through me and daniel was there to you know oversee the procession of it mm-hmm. um you know and we have another guy jim you remember jim yep of course Jim's, uh yep jim and chuck haven't been back since covid hit they, mm-hmm. you know, they have their own personal reasons for it. They want to come back, but it's yeah. just not going to happen right. right now. But it, it sucks because you see their progress halted. Right. And, you know, you're like, okay, I want another black belt. I want another black belt. Mm-hmm. It gets, that's my goal now is instead of me getting the black belt, I'm like I want to make black belt, black belt. Yeah. You know? Um, but for me personally, the goal is coral belt. You know, I told um, Daniel, professor Daniel, I said, um, you know, my, my goal is before I die, so mm-hmm. this is the long-term goal yeah. is I want to wear a coral belt. Mm-hmm. I know I'm never going to be red belt. I started too, too late in my life and I'm mm-hmm. just, I don't have that much of a major impact nationally on jujitsu, mm-hmm. um, which you have to be. Um, but you know, the short-term goal is obviously to grow the gym and make great students and mm-hmm. not just great in rank, but great people. Yeah. Um, the short, the long-term goal is the coral belt. Yeah. And uh, actually I don't know the uh, coral belt as well. Um, so what do you, what does it take to get to the coral belt? A long time in jiu-jitsu. <laughs> uh, it, so you get a series of stripes in jiu-jitsu. Right. The mm-hmm. first the first stripe is three years. The second stripe is another three years. Okay. And then I think it jumps to five years or six years for mm-hmm. the next couple of stripes. I mean, you got to be in jiu-jitsu for like 30 plus years. Wow. Maybe more. Wow. Yeah, so I think when um, – let's see. I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 15 years now when, I, when I'm – Maybe in my seventies, I'll have a coral belt, <laughs> you know. And if I can physically roll, I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna yeah. stop unless, you know, health. The health concerns are, are serious. You know, if I get a broken finger or you know arthritis, I'm still gonna roll. And I'm gonna find mm-hmm. a way to do it because I love it. It's therapeutic. Yeah, and uh, another thing that uh, I wanted to mention too, uh, you mentioned it, but uh, when you're creating black belts, like uh, that is gonna help everybody else in the gym improve. You know what I mean? That's going to be something that that level of experience, it sucks that they're not able to go yet, but 
it's only going to help everybody else in the gym improve. It's only going to there. And I mean, the thing about jujitsu is you extend your hand. You don't, you don't take it. You know what I mean? Uh, you're supposed to teach the people who are coming in and learning. And I mean, that's something I learned in my time there. You know what I mean? White belts, it's not, you know, yeah, you want to learn. Yeah, you want to excel. Yeah, you want to be better. But at the same time, you got to help the white belts, you know, get gain the traction they need to to for them to become self-sufficient and for them to start challenging higher belts. And I think that's important. That's a, an important aspect of jujitsu. You know what I mean? We've got a ton of purple belts in the school, and and I I just had the um I just had the belt test a couple of days ago, and I, I gave a speech similar. I said, you know, white belts. I said, take a look at all those purple belts over mm-hmm. here. Take a good look. I said because every one of them started it like you started as a white belt. Mm-hmm. I said, and they had and students above them that helped them. Mm-hmm. I said, in the same way they got help, I expect them to reach down and help you. Yeah. I said the same with the blue belts. I said because in the end, I said if you stay with the sport. You will be rewarded. You're rewarded for your work. You're rewarded for your time, mm-hmm. and it's not an empty reward. You know you earned it. Right. You, know, you might have doubts about it. You mm-hmm. might, uh, maybe you know. I don't know. In the end, you got to believe in your your professor. You know yeah. I mean? And if I see something in somebody, and I know I've been yeah. around it long enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like uh, that's something me and Freddie Ani actually brought up because uh, he and I were saying like when we did hit blue belt, we really didn't feel like we were blue belts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and he brought up the same point. Like you got to trust your coach. You got to trust the person who's watching you grow, who's making sure that you're doing all the right uh, steps. You know what I mean? That you're that you're getting your form correct. That you're not, you know, that you're not that you are deserving of that belt. You know what I mean? And that's a point that he actually brought up, and you're just echoing it right now. Yeah, we. I mean. We've had so many people come in and out of the gym, and for jujitsu, I think blue belt, the blue belt blues are real. Yeah. When you get the, when you have a blue belt, you, I think the, yeah, you, you, <laughs> you. <laughs> I think, I, I, I think when you get your blue belt, you're like, man, I'm so glad that was over. Oh, damn, I got to do this all over again, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the wrong mentality to have because it's going to be easier. It gets easier as you get higher up because the things that gave you so much trouble as a white belt, you don't have as much trouble with as a blue belt. Mm -hmm. Now it's not going to, that's not to say you're not going to be the nail sometimes, you know, in jujitsu, you're going to be the hammer some days and some days you'll be the nail. Mm -hmm. But as you get up on your rank, you're going to be the hammer more than the nail. Yeah. If Mm -hmm. you want to be the nail, you'll get to choose that. You'll be like, all right, I I think I'm going to let them have my back today and let me work on this. Yeah. You know, but retention is hard it is mm-hmm. and anybody any instructor that says it isn't they're lying yeah. they're lying to you yeah <clears throat> because people especially in this day and age and this is going to sound like i'm going to sound old <laughs> but they don't want to work for anything anymore yeah everybody feels entitled mm-hmm. everybody i i want a trophy too you know i want a best luck you know best better luck next time trophy because i want to feel like i accomplished something and we don't do that at the school. It's it's not a McDojo. And I've lost students because they felt like they deserved something. Yeah. And I didn't give it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it for their own for their own betterment. And they didn't see that because I want them to focus and work harder and earn it. Mm-hmm. The people that stay and understand that, they're better off for it. Right. And usually that's the kids, right? Mm-hmm. The parents, oh, my son didn't get this. And he, he's the same rank as the other person. And, yeah, I, if you don't like it, go down the street to the karate studio. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, honestly, you probably see that more often than I ever would. You know what I mean? Uh, you probably run into that a little bit more. 
But the participation trophy thing is not for somebody who's doing jujitsu or MMA. That doesn't happen. It's it's not part it's not part of the no. culture. It's just not. I'm sorry. It, it's and it's not to shit on karate or anything like that, but or you know any other discipline, but it's just not the way it works. And I think maybe parents don't understand what they're putting their kid into. I think it's more like, oh, you know, I heard my kid, my my friend's kid is doing jujitsu or they're doing MMA, so let me put my kid in there and blah blah blah. But they don't really understand the discipline itself. And that's why you see these kids just going anywhere and like, you know, what makes your kid, why did you put them in Taekwondo? Why did you put them in Karate? Why did you put them in uh, Jiu Jitsu? Why, why did you put them in uh, Kickboxing? Well, you know, and I think people don't do their research and people don't take the time to understand what this really is doing and, and the importance of, you know, getting your kid into uh, a, a, a sport that's going to make sure they understand the fundamentals that's going to carry them throughout their lives. You know what I mean? And I think any sport. So let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Real quick, not to shit on karate. I wasn't shitting on no. karate. I know I just threw off karate. No. Yeah. There, there is some. There is a really good karate school in Atkinson. I'm not okay. gonna say the name, but the mm-hmm. guy's phenomenal. Okay. I'm not shitting on karate at all, mm-hmm. but I think it, it's up to. And this goes with MMA, whatever school. Mm-hmm. The parents have to do the due diligence mm-hmm. and understand that it's not just about. How many medals do they have? Yeah. Do they fight in this organization? How many grandmasters? Spend some time with the instructor. Mm-hmm. Watch the instructor and how they interact with the students. Right. That's the best way to tell if your kid is going to get the most out of their tuition and their time there. Right. <clears throat> because in the flash doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Right. You can have the black belt. You can have the crew. You can you know fight in this organization. You can be. You can have a sixteen stripe. Whatever. You can have. But the, the proof is in how they interact with, with their students. And it's not how many black belts do they have in their school. Right. Don't be fooled by that, people at home. Because <laughs> anybody can strap a black belt. Oh, you paid $300. Oh, you, you, you've you been with me 16 years. Oh, I'll give you a black belt. Jeez. It's not that. That mm. isn't going to make your kid better at whatever art you're doing. Right. What's going to make the kid better is the interaction with the instructor, whether it's the head instructor or it's the junior instructor or whatever instructor they have there. Mm-hmm. So that's going to make the difference in your kid, whether he's going to grow to be a model citizen, whether it's just going to be something where they're just siphoning money from you, right. you know, or whether whether the kids are going to actually learn something for the, for the money they're putting into it. Yeah. And I think there's a reason they call these sports disciplines and not just a sport. You know what I mean? I think it's it's a lot more of a learning lesson and it teaches you way more than it's like you said about accolades and medals and all that other, you know, stuff. And I think people need to really pay attention. I think it's important for your kids to be in a discipline. You know what I mean? It's it's just a whole different ball. Like, uh, you know, you have football and stuff where you 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 build athlete like athletic. You know, it's very athletic focused. But I just feel like martial arts does a little bit more of, you know, you you learn to lose a lot. You know, what I mean, I think that's one of the first things you learn in jiu-jitsu mma you learn to lose because anybody you're going to go up against is better than you in that gym you know what i mean usually with football with soccer if you're doing it for a long time you're starting at square one with everybody else but the thing that me and Frediani were talking about is when you step into a gym you know even no matter what age you are when you step into uh, a discipline like mma or jiu-jitsu you are stepping into a room full of killers sometimes 
a lot of the times and you aren't one of them <laughs> so the minute so the minute you get there it's it's a little overwhelming uh it's it's like i you see all these people doing these things and going so hard and that's just everyday things to them you know what i mean but how like what is important to remember if you're walking into one of these places you're trying this out for the first time uh, i mean i know what it is only because i've done it and i you know i've i've over time, I was resilient enough to stay there. But how is it that, you know, what would you, what what piece of advice would you give somebody who's stepping in there and then realizing, like, I'm in over my head? Because I feel like that's a, that's kind of uh, a... Be honest with you, Paul. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be my, my um, advice. And, you know, when the kid, when kids or adults, anybody comes into my school, um, I have a, a form that they fill out. Right. You filled it out. Yep. And it says, describe your reason for enrolling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I want to know more about my students. Right. Because you know me, mm-hmm. I, and people love this or hate this about me. I speak my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't say one thing and then go behind your back and say another. Yeah. If I think you're an asshole, <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna say it. Yeah. If I think you're awesome, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's made a lot of enemies for me, but it's made a lot of friends too, because people. There's no no honesty anymore in this in this world. People mm-hmm. just say uh, something and to make you feel better, and yeah. they don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, yeah. And I think that being honest is is what's gonna it's gonna bring your character out. Right. Um, so, getting back to the question, my advice: be honest with yourself. Explain to your instructor why you why you're in the sport. Your instructor might not like the answer. He might say, "Hey, man, it's the wrong wrong gym for you." you know, go down the road. Mm-hmm. If they're grimy, they'll be like, Hey, come in. Yeah. Take your money and not, you won't really get anything from it. Right. So again, it goes back to the do research. There's plenty of online articles about gyms in the area, unless it's a brand new gym. Right. Um, and, and, and figure out what you want to do. What are you getting in there for? Do you want to be a fighter? Is that why you want to do it? Mm-hmm. Cause I tell, I tell guys right out and, and girls for that matter, you know, Oh, you want to be a fighter? Okay. Um, you're not going to fight for like a year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. You know, do you understand that? Yeah. Well, no, I do UFC in my basement. And, you know, <laughs> I got, I, I've got, dude, I've got every answer in the sun. I, I've had 70 street fights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I beat up my, my cousin who's like a professional boxer. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I get all these crazy people. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is I put them in one. I said, okay, well, let's see what you got. I put them in one MMA program, one class, and mm-hmm. they can't hang. Yeah. You know, or, you know, I don't let them spar right off the back because I don't want to hurt the real people yeah. that, that know what they're doing. Right. Um, <clears throat> that becomes that becomes a liability. But, um, you know, it's it's you got to be honest with yourself and you you got to hope that your coach is honest with you mm-hmm. or the instructor is honest with you. If, you're, if you're, you t- say to me, hey, I want to be a black owned karate. I'm going to say, hey, go down the road to Buzz Dirk in school because he's mm-hmm. he's the real karate guy. Right. You know what I mean? He's he's Buzz is a great guy. Mm-hmm. he uh, got me started in this business. He's a great businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, and what people don't understand when you open the gym, the, it takes more than just a black belt to be a good business owner, a gym owner, mm-hmm. gym. It takes so much work to be a gym owner. God, my head's going to fry from just thinking about it. <laughs> people have, a, they open these gyms. They have all this pie in the sky. Like, Oh, it's going to be great. And people are going to flock to me because mm-hmm. you know, I'm awesome. And <laughs> they got a rude awakening coming, man. When they yeah. open that gym, like yeah. I thought the same thing when I opened my gym mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm 10 years in now and I'm like, damn, get me off this ship. Like, <laughs> man, man overboard. <laughs> the captain did not go down with the ship. 
you can you can have your black belt in MMA, I mean jujitsu or whatever, but you know you got to have a black belt in business. That's mm. really what it comes down to, and you got to be able to balance both. So you're making money, but you're providing quality. You right. can't make money and then just provide garbage because then it puts you in that McDojo life. You know the McDojo life. I haven't. <laughs> That's the first time I hear that. <laughs> That's common. That's common in this sport. You hear it a lot. The McDojo. Just, just, just Google it. You'll, you'll get a lot of good laughs. <laughs> uh, there, damn, I had another one that I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm going to flip it on you. Oh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You still got your Mustang? No, I got rid of it. Had I to. loved that car. I loved it. And nobody loved it more than me. Trust me. I believe it. I, I, I had it. The- go ahead. Go ahead. What? You're the reason I bought the Camaro. I was like, oh, man, we'll have two black cars. We'll fool nah. around and mess around on the road. And yeah. Yeah. No, it didn't happen. It was more uh, so for me, and, I, and I'm and i perfectly fine with explaining this. It came down. It really came down to money because that thing was costing me like $1,000 a month just to keep. What? Yeah. Yeah. Insurance is high for me. Yeah. Damn. At my age and all that. And I don't understand it. I don't know how insurance companies work. I really don't, man. Because... It's just like they consider it, you know, a sport coupe and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, fine. You got me there. It's got a V8, all that shit. Fine. You know, fine. But and the the, uh, the car that I have now, I trade that in for and something I, I'm not. I fucking uh, nothing. Like once you taste that power, there's just nothing like it. I'm, like, I'm sorry. I don't oh. give a shit. I don't give a shit how bad the weather is. I don't care. I'm taking my Mustang out and I'm riding it. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm doing my thing. So I ended up getting a Accord. I ended up getting a cord. It still has a manual transmission, but now it's got four doors and all that. It has a decent pickup, but it's it's not the Mustang, dude. Like it's I'm practical. It's exactly. And that's fine, you know, and so are the payments. So I'm good with that. You know what I mean? For now. But I know, I know I'm gonna end up in another Mustang or another or probably a GT three fifty or you know, yeah, I know I'm gonna I know it's gonna come back. I know it's gonna come back. And that yeah, I know. I had to get rid it was probably one of the saddest days of of my rec- of, of adulthood <laughs> getting rid of that thing watching how, it go how old are you now Chris 28 I'm 28 now you know your insurance will go down when you hit 30 I heard that when I was 25 supposed to be that it's supposed to drop then too and then it, it will. and then they heard, they hit me with the uh, oh I don't know where you heard that but that's not the case and I'm like alright you freaking you scammers just a bunch Time of scammers insurance company <laughs> tried that too <laughs> but you know it's uh it's just a matter of time before i get my hands on another one i i know it's it's, if you if y'all haven't had a v8 or a muscle car or anything like that just go drive one go just go find a track or something pay to pay a little bit of money and uh you know go drive one Um, actually that's a good one uh i actually did i tell you i went to go uh one of my uh ex-girlfriends they for my birthday, they took me down to a racetrack, and they actually had the Corvette, the the, the I think it's the the C eight, C eight or C seven. Yep. Corvette C eight. Yeah. And dude, you have like a professional driver with you, you know, and you go around the track, and I mean, like you can feel it's it's nerve wracking because it's not your car, and you got to pay insurance like beforehand. If you don't, that's all you. You know what I mean? That's your eighty ninety thousand dollar car. So going around the track and you have the uh, instructor sitting right beside you teaching you uh, how to take these turns and stuff like, you know, guiding you through the track. And 
they even uh, re- they have like a little uh, I don't know if you've seen in some cars they have SD ports that you can just put like an SD card in. So they had cameras inside the car set up so that you just record it and you pay a little bit of money and boom you're there. It was out in uh, Connecticut, but dude, one of the best things, one of the best things I've ever done. If you haven't done like a track day, it's it's worth your time. It's worth your time because you can. There's no rules. Like you just unleash hell, and it's great because you get all the power in the world. <laughs> You get all the power in the world, and it's like, dude, that was double my Mustang. You know, I'm in the seven, six, seven hundred, you know, horsepower range, because these are like track, track cars. They're not for the street. So, it was awesome. It was awesome. If you haven't done it, that's something you should do for sure. You'd enjoy the so shit out of it. Uh, I did something similar to that. Um, I got my dad and my father-in-law for Father's Day. It's it's called Extreme Experience, and it's similar. It's not track cars. Mm-hmm. We went to we went to Loudon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had all the supercars. They had the Ferrari, the Lambo, yeah. the McLaren, mm-hmm. um, the new Corvette. Mm-hmm. The, they had the Hellcat. They had um, the Mustang Shelby GT350. No, was it the G350? Yeah, it was a 350. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had a, a pace car. And the yep. pace car, mm-hmm. of all things, was it was those Chevy SSs, those four doors with the, with the Corvette motor in it. Right? <laughs> so... You can pay the instructor right. to drive you around in, in the pace car yep. so you can learn the track. Yep. And then you go to like this briefing and they're like, okay, you know, these are the slides, you know, this is the, these are the, the signals. This means slow down. This means speed up. Mm-hmm. So the driver's giving you hand signals because it's so loud in the car yeah. that you can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, they had cameras. I didn't do it. I had my son with me. I wanted him to experience the car. So we would sat on the track. Yeah. But my father and my father-in-law did it. And um, they drove the C8. Because mm-hmm. that's the new car this year. Yep. And um, the the drivers were real cool. They're like, "Hey man, you want to go in the car? Fifty bucks." So my dad took the Ferrari out. Mm-hmm. They had the uh, the Marinello. It was a four four fifty eight four four sixty eight uh, Marinello, and then um, or Italia four four fifty eight Italia four fifty eight. Yep. And um, then they're like, "Hey, do you want to do a hot lap with us? We'll take you in the pace car." And my dad's like, ah, no, my, my father-in-law's a maniac. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So they go in. <laughs> and my father-in-law recorded it with his phone. And all this, you just see the heads bouncing around and flying. And, and, you know, my dad was getting sick in the back. Yeah. Uh, but same thing. They record it, and uh, you have it on an SD card. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely do it next time. I, I love it. Right now, um, I've got a Dodge Viper. And that's that thing is just – that thing pulls so hard, so hard. I can't imagine what it would do on a track. I didn't know you had I the really Viper. Can't. I didn't know you had a Viper. I did. I, I, dude, I got one um, what, three what, months ago. Like the 2005? Or what is it? 2005? 2006? I got an 05 convertible. Yeah. Um, and I and it was the same thing as you, Chris. Like, I got rid of the Camaro, and I was crying. I was like, why did I get rid of this car? Yeah. I was so mad. <laughs> you know? And um, I wanted something sporty that had a stick shift, and mm-hmm. I, I paid, like, nothing for this car. The guy... Um, the guy was a huge Viper enthusiast. His friend writes for Road and Track. Wow. Um, he was talking about the Viper, Viper. Guy bought the Viper uh, like five or six years ago and took it to Nürburgring in Germany. He wow. over there. Jeez. Buku bucks. That's right? hell yeah, yeah. Drove it there with the guy from Road and Track who was test driving a Ferrari. Mm. Then they swapped cars and drove. And then they shipped the Viper over to Le Mans in France. What the hell? And he, dude, that's crazy. Dude. Like... <laughs> so he drove dude. it to Le Mans. And he's like, man, he's like, this car never broke. He goes, the Ferrari, they were constantly tinkering with. Mm-hmm. 
He's like, the V10 motor is unbreakable. The parts are easy to get because it's American. Um, he loved the car. And the only reason he was selling it was to make room in his garage because right next to him was an air-cooled Porsche 911 he had, and he wouldn't get rid of that. I give up. So he needed to garage. I know, I know, I know. Put, put the microphone away. He needed room for his brand-new C8 that he pre-ordered. So Jeez. the C8 was coming in. He's like, I really don't want to get rid of this car. I need to. He sold it for literally, I paid like 32 grand for it. Mm. Had 20,000 original miles on it. So no miles on the car. Wow. Perfect condition. Perfect person to buy it from. It was, that it is like, the dream. It, that is the dream seller I, right there. That is like, you, if you want to buy it. For my go ahead. Camaro. You paid more for your Camaro than I that. I paid more for my Camaro. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's a, it, the Vipers, you don't see them. You really don't see them. What color is it? Black? It's black with uh, chrome wheels. It's very, very rare to see a Viper nowadays. They usually crashed. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen. A, it's very few and far. I don't think I've seen a Viper for a year and a half, maybe two years. And they only come out they're, in nice uh, weather. It's an intense car, Chris. I'll yeah. let you drive it sometime. It's it's intense, man. There's no traction control in the car. Um, there's there's no like anti-slip. There's, mm. It's very twitchy. It's It bumps steers. It's like a go-kart. It's raw. It's, like an, it's raw power. It's raw. Very raw. Yeah. The, the tires are Michelin Power Port, Power Pilot Power Sport Cups. Mm. So they have very little tread. They're all rubber. Anything <laughs> under 60 degrees out and you're going to be slipping. Yeah. You know, it's like. Yeah. But it, it, it's it, it's what I was looking for is that grunty car. You yeah. Know? And I just, I love it. And you've had a few. You've had a few uh, good cars. Like good, good fast cars. You had the, you had another Corvette. You had a, uh, an older Corvette, right? Yeah, I had a, uh, a C6 mm -hmm. uh, Corvette. It was Atomic Orange. I loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, got rid of it. And um, actually, I had a Mustang before that. So I don't want you to think I left the Mustang out. <laughs> I had a Mustang before that. You didn't know me. But, um, <laughs> I had a convertible. I got rid of that. And then I was going to get a Shelby. And I don't know if you remember the, the Shelby Cobra. Oh, of course. It was a uh, 2004. It was Terminator. Like weird... The Terminator. It, yeah, it was a chameleon color. It changed colors. It was like purple, green, blue, depending on how you looked at it. Yeah, the sun. yeah, yeah. It it's almost paint. yeah. Yep, I know what you're talking about. It's almost like a like almost oil. Like, like if you look at oil in the light, like oil on the ground. If you ever yep. seen it in the light, it's kind of like that. Yeah, that yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So tell me which one's your which and one I, was your favorite? I, I passed on that. What do you mean you passed on? I passed on that. I didn't get the Shelby. I didn't get the Shelby. Oh. Dude, I those it. I, I, I it. people love those things. People love them. They, they, you can do anything you want to those things. You can make them super snakes if you want. You know, just add another hundred horsepower right off the rip. It's just like, fuck. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. The uh, the Mustang is the best sounding stock exhaust out of any supercar, any American muscle car. Now, what year are you talking about? You talking about the new stuff? The new stuff's dead silent. It was it was heartbreaking. No, no, no. I'm talking about. Um, Let's say uh, 2013 and up. Okay. I would say like that square style. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That like the original, like it looks almost like the like the original Shelby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With the weird round lights in the front. Yep. That the the stock GT exhaust sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the Camaro was good, but the Camaro had um, it had um, that select mode exhaust, so you could oh, do. Okay. Quiet, active boring, exhaust and you just close the baffles and stuff yeah yep yep and uh I, I didn't mind it but um the viper is the worst by far the worst exhaust it sounds like a ups truck because it's a v10 so it's just like 
<laughs> so I, I want to get Borla. Borla makes a nice exhaust for what I'm going to put on it in the summer. Yeah, and uh, also the uh, the exhaust juice out the side. It's not coming out the back. So you you hear probably hear that drone like right in your right in your ears, right? Yeah, and and you don't even hear the drone. That's the thing. You got to rev it up. Like the red line on that is I think 6,500. You got to rev it up to 58, 5,900 to hear it. To hear to hear any exotic sound at all. From wow, I'm surprised. Something so bare. Um, so something. And the side pipes. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. The side pipes. Yeah. The side pipes bake you. Your ass is on fire really? constantly in that car. Really? Yeah, because the way they set up the pipes. Yeah, because the crossover on the pipes is right under your seat. So when you buy like an aftermarket exhaust like Borla, yeah, yeah. you can take the crossover off and install them without the crossover. So straight so back instead of the X pipe. Yeah. It's no X pipe. It's just straight out and to the side and that's it. Yeah. The other fun fact about Vipers is if you're not careful when you take your legs and you step out of the car, if you're wearing shorts, you'll burn your calf muscles. That is so wild. Side pipe is right. <laughs> That's like how could you, how does this how did this get released to the public? It's like it was a different time. I think it was just a different time. It's just like yeah, bare bones, like burn your legs. That's your fault. You know what I mean? It was like everybody was held accountable. It's like now you have people suing each other for hot coffee and and crap like that. You know what I mean? But that's all right. So my yeah. my question was, which one did I ask you? Which one was your favorite? Which has been your favorite? I don't. I don't yeah, think I got I didn't to that. Answer it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, my my favorite car is probably the Viper because mm. of what it represents. It's mm-hmm. just raw American muscle. It's rare. You don't see it. Um, and at the time when it came out, it was like state of the art. And and it's the V10 motor is something different. Mm-hmm. It's naturally aspirated. No turbos. No superchargers. Even the Dodges now that come out, like my dad's got a Hellcat. Mm. It's supercharged. Sounds great, but right. you know when that supercharger goes, what's it going to cost to rebuild it? Yeah, and actually, that um, uh, on that question, would you be doing all the maintenance yourself on the Dodge? Um, no. Th- yeah, it's a tricky <laughs> engine. I, I imagine it's a tricky engine. V10s is like oh. uh, probably tough to get to too. You'd probably have to dismantle a lot of stuff to do like uh, spark plugs, coils, anything like that. So here's the nice thing. Um, when I bought that car from the guy, the guy gave me, he was like a zealot. He had all the paperwork I from bet. the original owner. Mm-hmm. The, the owner that had it before him was a radio DJ in New Hampshire. He needed a heart transplant, so he sold his car. Um, and this guy kept it ever since. But he has the original booklet. He has all three keys. He's wow. got all the paperwork. So what he did was, and this guy was a little eccentric. He <laughs> took the car. He's like, well, he's like, I didn't like the, uh, it had a little bit of a melodic, drone to the transmission there was some vibrancy there i'm like you're saying all this crap i don't know <laughs> and, and he goes so i took it i took it and shipped it to new york he said and i took it to this guy named chuck tater chuck tater for those who don't know at home is like the premier viper mechanic in the united states mm-hmm. if you need something worked on on your viper that's the guy to take it to um and what they did was he took the car apart he um took the transmission out and shipped it to um detroit Right. And there's a guy who does transmissions in Detroit. He was the original Mopar transmission designer for the Viper. Oh, God. So he has his own place now. Yeah. And uh, he, he rebuilt the transmission to spec, um, put it back in the car. Chuck Tater went through the car. He fixed a bunch of things in it. Um, he got the oil lines and replaced them with um, braided Steel lines. Braided, because yeah. on Vipers, those are notorious for leaking. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I'll never have to do those. 
The only thing he didn't do was the coils, spark plug coils, and I wish he did. Yeah, but so those are a, be a bitch to take probably apart. the engine. If since it's so big, it probably sits underneath the car. Like it sits a little bit under. You're probably gonna. Yep. It's very tough to get to those. Because when I was working for uh, Mercedes, we would have V10s. Some of the S classes were V10s. So we would have to take the cowl apart, like right by the windshield. All that trim had to come off in order for us to get to those spark plugs. Oh. And it's like, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. German engineering is a nightmare. It, off the bat. Never oh, mind, you. you know. Yeah, no, no. It doesn't matter what size the engine is. It's a nightmare. So, yeah, I can see you not wanting to even bother. <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't bother either. Look. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Would you, if you had a choice between um, a CLS 63, mm. all right, or okay. an E55, which one would you take? E55. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> only because, so, only because, only because I worked with somebody in Florida that had one. But the, the the amount of things that he did to it was insane. And that thing ripped anything anything it came up against. Anything. The E55? It did. Yep. Yep. The E55, Sorry. he did uh, some tubing, obviously. He he changed the intake, had it Rentec tuned, got, you know, very light wheels. Uh, he even put, like, a solar panel in the roof. So what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. And I'm like, I cannot believe. Because he was a master tech for Mercedes. So anything he had to do, he did it himself. And that's another thing. Uh, I, and that's another thing. When it comes to those cars, I probably, if I wasn't uh, you know, familiar with them, I probably wouldn't buy one anyways. Because just the amount of maintenance work, no matter what year, it's it's like, it's all, you know, parts from overseas. It's all, you know, it's all... Um, you got to have a specialty mechanic uh, mechanic work on it, either that or you got to have the tools. And so it's just like, unless I had those tools and knowledge like I do, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even bother because you're paying the same maintenance and the same costs as you were if they were brand new cars. The the labor or any of that parts do not decrease no matter how old they are. So that's well, another thing. The problem thing. is with with the with the um, you know, with the high end Mercedes is they're all all the motors are hand built. Yep. You know what I mean. Yep. So those the, the, the CLS six. So the funny story is my dad has both of them. Mm -hmm. He's got an E 55 mm -hmm. and he's got a CLS 63. Mm -hmm. And I, we have this argument all the time because I love the fastback on the CLS. I love it. Yep. I love the look. Always been my favorite car. They're yep. both AMGs. Yep. Um, and the, the CLS 63 has, has the performance package on it. Okay. And the, the performance package, you you know this. They they made very limited amounts. Of them. Yep. You know it's delimited. It'll go you know 196 miles an hour. It's yep. got the, the the brakes got all that crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. I I was I have a Cadillac uh, XTS right now. It's just a four door sedan, mm -hmm. all wheel drive. Um, that's what I traded the Camaro in for originally. Mm -hmm. And a uh, great car to go back and forth to work. Yep. We didn't even get into that. I, I worked for Oracle Tech for the technology uh, in Burlington. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, I need something. You know, it's going to bring me back and forth. Um, and I was looking to trade that in at, do you know, Smith motor cars, uh, in Haverhill. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, right by the river, Davis right? Dealership. It's right uh, by the river. It's right by the river. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Yep. Um, so they had the CLS 63 there mm. and it had like 20,000 original miles on it mm. and they were asking 23 grand for it. And I'm like, that's the, that's almost the oh. trap, I guess you could say, because they do, they always sell for cheap. But then when you get down to what it needs and right. the, the amount of work, that's why they sell so cheap because 
you're going to spend the money in the back end. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it's up right. front, it's cheap. Right. But this is the minute you get that into the shop and you find out everything that it needs, it's like, all right, now I'm just buying a car. Now I'm, now I'm buying a new car. And that's, that's what well, a lot of people think. Yeah. That's a good point. And you see, you see it firsthand more than I do. Oh yeah. My dad, you'd be lucky if he did like a thousand miles a year in the car. So it really so wouldn't him, matter. It's yeah. a good investment. Right. I wanted the car. Mm-hmm. They didn't give me um, trade in value for what I wanted for the Cadillac. So mm-hmm. I was like, dad. It's 23 grand. It's an AMG. Like, you got to grab it. Yeah. He grabbed it. So now he throws it in my face. He's like, oh, I think I'm going to take the E55 out today. That's dirty. I'm like, what about the CLS? <laughs> you said the fight game was dirty. I'm like, damn, your family's like on another level. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. My, my dad's got a sickness. He likes he likes nice cars. So I mean, it's an easy, easy pit to fall into. I mean, there's nothing like, I don't know. Like, uh, are you into MotoGP at all? Like, uh, motorcycle oh, racing? Oh, dude. Yes, dude. I love it, it's to me, and a lot of people don't get this. It's to me poetry in motion. It's a relationship between man and machine that you can't duplicate. You know, it's it's literally you have to be one one entity in order to do what they do, and with the confidence they do it in, and to be able to compete and then pull through through all that. I mean, there's nothing between you and the dirt. There's nothing between you and the gravel. Nothing between you and other racers. And that's what people like the risk reward thing that they have to go through. And then on top of that, the fact that they can throw these bikes around like they've been doing it all their lives, which they have. It's to me, it's there's nothing like watching those guys do it. You know, it's all the slow-mo cams and how low they're getting their elbows, their elbows, not even their knees. They're getting their elbows to touch the ground. It's like you can't do that. You can't. There's nothing like it to me. And now they're putting electric bikes. If you had known me in another life, we would have been biker boys for life. Um, <laughs> if you want to get into bikes, man, I got all day. I could talk to you all day about bikes. I've had the, the, I've had some of the craziest street bikes when I was a kid. I had three RC51s. I was a huge wow. Nicky Hayden fan. Yeah, I Nicky Hayden, yeah. Nicky Hayden. R.I.P. Um, I mean, and, you know, GP, when I followed it, was like Marco Melandri, uh, you know, the doctor. Mid-2000s? Mid-2000s then. Yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, that was just, it was such a nice time. Max Biaggi and that whole rivalry. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, when, when they went from uh, two strokes to four strokes and the difference, you know, in the riding and when they were still allowing two strokes to race with the four strokes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that whole thing. Yep. Uh, Colin Edwards and all those guys in – um. Man, I, I loved RC51s. I like V-Twins. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my jam. Yeah. You know? um, I never bought a GSX-R1000 in my life. Yeah. Never. A lot of torque in those um, uh, two bangers. A lot of torque. That's kind of the fun thing. That's what you want. You want that get up and go. You want that like, yeah, we can be civilized, but I'll kill you if you're not careful. You know what I mean? With the uh, yeah. with the force, it's just the inlines, they don't, to me, they're, they're built for a purpose. You know what I mean? They're built to be a weapon on a track. Yeah, you can have them in the street, and yeah, it's good to have that power. But first of all, you got to be in the power band. You know, you're not doing that around town. Second of all, yeah. it's uncomfortable as shit to be to be poised like that for hours. You're not going to be riding that for four, five, six hours a day. But on you know, depending on what you're into, you know, you have your naked bikes where you're sitting up, nice and comfortable. You know, you have your uh, your your uh, lazy your, your uh, fat boys and soft tails and shit like that where you're you know very comfortable on, but. I think the engine itself is like it's it. That's what's going to determine how much fun you're having. You know what I mean? That and the riding position are the two things that people overlook, don't really do their research on. They just want something that looks like a like a transformer, so they get a GSXR. They you know they get a Ninja. They get <laughs> like, it's cool to look at. Yeah, it's an art piece, but 
is it something I'm going to ride around for, you know, if I need to take long trips and travel with it? No, no, no way. So when I was your age, um, I didn't mind doing the whole, you know, lean forward thing, mm -hmm. but the RC 51 was very comfortable. Um, you could sit up on it and, mm -hmm. um, I had a Sergeant seat. It's the first thing I bought for that. Cause Honda seats are like cardboard. They're horrible. <laughs> They're like wooden cardboard and planks. Yeah. So I got rid of that. Um, but after that, I started getting into like the Italian exotics. I had a couple mm. of Brillias, um, the RSVs. Uh, then I ended up getting into like the real hyper exotics. So I had, um, and you ever hear MV Agustas? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't see them so often, I but MV I have. Agustas. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a 750 um, and uh, I crashed that bike mm -hmm. on the loop in Methuen. That wasn't fun. Mm. Um, that was my only real. Uh, uh, good, good place to crash it. Were you taking the uh, exit ramp? The hard getting onto the split into 213. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, yeah that's kind of the, the turn I would do it onto. <laughs> I got, yeah, I got, um, I got cut off. I, I had somebody on the back. So I had a passenger on the back and mm. some kid on an R6. I was in the apex of the turn and he came in too hot and I would have flipped uh... his rear wheel with my front wheel. So I was forced to either, you know, I, I sat up so I didn't hit him. He went by me. And so my, my, I see the guardrail coming. So I go, okay, I can, grab a handful of brake and low side it or I can try to jump the curb and miss the guardrail and break my leg. Yeah. So I just grabbed a handful of brake, low sided it slid. And then the last thing you want to hear, you know, this, you're a motorcycle rider mm -hmm. is the hop, hop, hop of the, the triaxle behind you with the rear brakes going. Yep. Yep. As soon as I hit the ground, I slid, got up, started running. Luckily, yeah, luckily it wasn't, uh, you can't take that turn too quick, depending on what you're riding. But, uh, yeah, luckily it wasn't, fa it, like, too fast, where you, you were probably, ro you would have been probably rolling, instead of being able to actually get up and run from that killer machine. <laughs> it, it was about, it was about 60, 55, 60 miles an hour is when I, I ham, ham held the brake. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of surfed the, um, the bike a little bit, because mm -hmm. I had sliders on it. Okay. Um. But once once the handlebar bent and caught, it was like yeah, yeah. Spinning. Yep. Mm -hmm. My my passenger landed on me, you know, and I was wearing um gloves, helmet. My I had a beautiful Arai helmet. It was trash after that, and um, but I was wearing jeans, oh. and you'd be surprised how quick the road tears into your jeans and rips into your knee. You oh yeah, so it, people, picking... yeah. People don't understand like that road rash is serious, like serious. It'll burn through your your shorts. It doesn't tear them; it burns through them, and then you get burned on top of that. I was picking hot top out of my knee for like three months, you know, just getting infected. It was nasty. Yeah, um, but that bike got total. Oh, I bet. And, yeah. Um, it's the trellis frame, you know, tubular frame like a Ducati, yep. and uh, you know any any dent on the frame, and they're it's like, yeah, crap. total, like, yeah. total. Mm -hmm. So um, that I had, uh, then I had a, I had a CBR six hundred double R. That if if it would if there's one crotch rocket I would get, it would be a CBR. I've heard nothing but good things about them. The power bands, you know, easy enough to get to. You're not going to be winding that thing out in order to get speed, and it's also the most comfortable. I've heard the most comfortable. Uh, you know, six, you, either six hundred or uh, the uh, Fireblade one thousand. I've I've heard good things about yeah. both, and they're yeah, reliable. They're it's both, Honda. Um, good bikes. Yeah, it's hard. It's cheap maintenance, reliable. You know what I mean? It Honda's Honda, no matter what. But that's that's uh, 
You know which one I've my dream. I'm sorry, I, I, I get excited when I talk about motorcycles and stuff. Tell me, but, tell me. What are you? <laughs> the uh, the 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 one that my dream bike, I guess you could say. Um, if I had, if I got one of those, you know, one of those crotch rockets would be the uh, the Repsol edition. That the Repsol CBR. They use it in oh, MotoGP. Yeah. Uh, oh, what is that? The nine five four? No, the nine nine nine. Yeah, and so I, no, but they make like Repsol editions still. Like they put the Repsol fairings and all that. But yeah, that was I think that was the last one. Either that or it was a it was already a Fireblade by that time. I think it already orange, was. It was orange, orange blue, yellow, right? orange, yeah, yellow, yeah, yeah, red, yeah. and black. Like just the the nastiest oh. scheme. Yeah, it's almost like the uh, the yeah the uh, the Daytona machine behind you. It's it's almost that color scheme. Oh yeah, you can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty much uh, something crazy what see this, see this machine yeah you see the seats i do yeah i was i was looking at it you know not that i wasn't paying attention but i was looking at it like i was looking back and looking at you looking back and looking at you yeah those you bucket those seats. seats are from uh i would say they're bucket seats they're real aren't they they're real like yeah i bet uh The I couldn't say, I couldn't say. Those are the Dodge Viper seats, the original seats I pulled out of my Dodge Viper. You pulled the oh, so you changed. What did you do? You you put mechanical seats, or what'd you do? So the seats on the Daytonas, you you know this, they're mm. garbage. They're like rock hard. They want you in and out. Put your quarter in and move on. <laughs> so the, these seats, for some strange reason, the guy like ruined the driver's seat. He was a little overweight. Okay. So you know how they, you see how they bump out here? So yeah, right on the, yep. Mm -hmm. You know, so the, for those of you listening at home, uh, Viper seats are like, like you would see like Recaro seats. Right. The sides come out and they hug your ribs so that you stay in the car when you're taking turns. You don't slide all over the place. So one of those bumps um, got pushed in. That's on the other one. It's, it's deformed. It's all mangled. Mm. And I'm kind of a perfectionist. The car is in great shape other than that. Mm. So I found a guy in Las Vegas that was selling um, new old stock. He bought them for a project car. He never installed them. Same exact seats, same color. Wow. He shipped them over. Uh, I put them in the Viper and I said, you know what? I got these seats. Nobody wants to buy them. So I said, let me take those crappy seats out and install real seats. So I had a little bit of a modification, a couple drill holes, and uh, we got nice seats. For <laughs> that's so awesome. I know. I'm screwed up. <laughs> no, that's dope. I mean... It's good to be handy, and I that's that's cool that you could actually keep the seats. And I I mean they're Viper seats still. I don't I don't care what condition they're in, you know. If they're Viper seats, that's to me that's a you know no matter what you always have that, even if you get rid of the car, yeah. you're always gonna have those. And that's that's pretty dope. But yeah, man, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm I love motorcycles. I love motorcycles, and that's the thing too. Like uh, one thing I tell people about motorcycles who don't understand, um, you're in your car. It's like you're seeing a picture through a frame, right? When you're on a motorcycle, you're in the picture. That's the difference to me. So like That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, because you see like you're you have this metal cage around you and you're seeing everything through a window. You're seeing it like a picture through a picture frame. But when you're on a motorcycle, you're painted into that picture. That's the difference. That's what that's what crossed my mind when I first got on a motorcycle. I'm like the difference like I've been on this highway a million times i've been through these streets a million times but you just don't see them the same when you get on a bike you just don't see anything the same you feel everything you smell everything you know you 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 know how cold or how warm it is outside you know you can feel the road through the handlebars stuff like that to me creates an experience and i think that's something that people don't understand until they're on a motorcycle 
dude, that's so true. And um, you know, n- nowadays I'm I'm older and and more broken, so I I read a fat boy. Hmm. Um, and and the, even even changing bike uh, models, so like on a CBR or a quote unquote crotch rocket, mm-hmm. you're gonna notice more than you would in a car, but you're gonna notice less than you would on a Harley. Yeah. Or or a cruiser bike. Let's say cruiser bike. I just mm-hmm. say Harley as a generic term. Right. Um, but because you're dr- generally driving slower, the Harley's gonna be more forgiving if you screw up. Right. You know you, the 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 crotch rockets tend to be a lot more twitchy they're more race spread right yeah you lean a little bit the wrong way you're already turning into the corner yep you can kind of get away with that on the harley and listening to music mm-hmm. you know and again what you said you can smell the bacon from the neighbor next door that's yep. the bacon yep you can feel the crispness in the air when you go for a fall ride. yeah mm-hmm. you know I mean? you can smell the earth when somebody spread mulch or loom or whatever yeah you know? it's like if, if you haven't ridden a motorcycle and you're thinking about it out there in, in podcast land, um, <laughs> my best advice to you is to start small. Don't get a bike that you're going to be overwhelmed with. Yep. If you're somebody smaller in stature or you're the female persuasion, mm-hmm. um, get something that you're going to be able to stand up if you if you drop it and roll it over. Don't mm-hmm. get this gigantic bike that you're not going to be able to pull up if you, and you know burn your leg on. Um, and take some motorcycle rider training courses and oh, learn yeah. how to ride. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if you, you do and you get on it and just think of me and say, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and just to actually add on to that point, I personally, I did the, uh, the training course and that's what made me fall in love with it. It was more like, I just want to feel it. I just want to try it out. After that, I did my research for probably another year or year and a half before I actually got a bike. And that's one thing that I want to stress a lot to y'all is do your research, do your research, watch as many videos as you need to watch, you know, make sure that you pick something that you're going to enjoy that's tameable, that's, that's up to your level of experience. Because the worst thing you can do is be trapped into this 600 because your friends have 600s or even if you want to be a big boy and jump on the fire blade just to prove a point or a thousand liter bike or a thousand cc's you are not gonna enjoy it it's not going to be an enjoyable experience you're probably going to get into trouble with the bike i mean whether it's you going too fast or you not understanding the dynamics and the and the and the handling of the bike those are things that are going to get you in real trouble and turn a dream come true into a nightmare and i think that's what people don't do a lot of they pick a bike oh yeah what's uh you know what's the most popular bike that i see around okay it's uh it's an inline okay fine it's a 600 so you pick a 600 because other people are getting 600s, but you've never been on a bike. What are you doing? It's it's you're you're talking about bikes that can go 174, 75 miles per hour. You know, if you're not careful, and it's easy, very people don't understand how easy it is to hit 100. Never mind if you're getting into 150, 160, 170. That's it happens so fast, and the bikes are so aerodynamic that you don't even feel it. You only know you're going that fast by looking down at the speedometer. You know what I mean? And I think that people just should take that into consideration. Do your research on whatever you buy. Just make sure that it's going to suit your needs. You know what I mean? If you're not tracking it, you know, why do you really need a 600? Why do you really need a 1,000? You know, you can have just as much fun on something much more smaller and manageable. You know what I mean? You don't need to. You don't need to opt in for all that. But then you have a Mustang. And then all that goes away. this is how stupid I was when I first bought my bike. 
I went into the dealership. I didn't do any research at all. And um, I've been riding dirt bikes all my life. Since mm -hmm. I was two. I started on a, a bike. So yeah. I had experience. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> but the street is totally different. So I looked at two bikes. It was a blue at the time. Let me think. What year was that? 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. It was a blue GSXR 600. Mm -hmm. And right next to it was a red uh, GSX, GSXF Katana 600, right? Jeez. Katana was all red. GSXR was blue and white. I'm like, man, that GSXR is ugly. I'm like, it, it's got the bearings are all open yeah. and, and it's got all these wires. Yep. And I'm like, man, look at that beautiful red Katana. It's got a full <laughs> bearing. It looks smooth and sexy. I'm like, it's probably an awesome bike. Yeah. Man, what a piece of shit that bike was. I was done with that bike after two months. I had no idea the GSXR was a race bike. I should have bought it. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. but, then, but then the guy, the dealer, the the salesman was trying to talk me out of the the can of tuna, I call it, but the the, the katana. Yeah. Um, he's like, he's like, hey, why don't you take that TL one thousand out for a ride? He goes, that you, that's more your style. Mm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Suzuki twins, but that was like mm. the RC fifty one of the Suzukis. Okay. The thousand CP. Mega torque, yep. hundred mile an uh, sorry, two hundred mile an hour bike, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, all right, I'll take it out. I'm like, why does it sound like a Harley? It's like, da, 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 da. and I'm like, okay, I'll ride it. You know, just like take it up one twenty five, and I did right, mm -hmm. and I ham fisted that thing. I had no clue about oh. about V twin torque. Yeah, and I was like, it'll pick it up. And yeah, yeah, picked it right up, and I panicked and yeah. I throttle it down. I just let the throttle go, and it slammed the forks down. I'm like, oh, oh God. I don't need new fork sales. <laughs> Jesus, that made that because it happens to everybody. You know, what I mean, you 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 do make mistakes. You know what I mean? It happens on a regular basis. But with something like that, where you picking up the front end, it's like people don't get it. They think, oh, it's a little too it's a little too cylinder. You know, how much could it really be? But you don't understand how much torque that thing really has. That's why people love it so much. That's why that is the the around town bike. Those those torquey engines are what make the streets fun. You know, the tr right. the, those those inlines are what make the track fun. And that's the difference. That's the difference. And I don't blame you for not being able. I mean, we don't have the resources. We didn't have the same resources in 2001 that we do now. Now everybody's writing articles as soon as a bike drops. Like the uh, the V2s. Have you uh, the uh, the Ducati uh, V2? Is that what they call it? The V2. Uh, a new Ducati Panigale. came out. Say it again. Yeah, the Panigale. Pan Pan yeah, the Panigale V2. Yeah. So yeah. that they just that just came out and everybody's doing comparisons and you know writing articles about them and they even have bike shootouts so they take all the cream of the crop from the year and then every year they pit them against each other they do you know tra laps on the track they do you know uh, mountain range riding all this stuff so they there's a lot more resources now so I don't blame you for seeing so for going based on looks and all that and I mean if you've been driving dirt bikes your whole life. You have a lot more experience than a lot of people just showing up and hey, that looks cool, and then jumping on and you know wrecking the bike as soon as they've signed the paperwork. That's another thing I've heard horror stories about that too. Like people have sat there, the dude's like, "All right, yeah, thanks for your business," riding off, and then right as he turns the corner, dumps the bike. It's like, dude, right after he left the dealer. So I I don't blame you at all. That's that's a common mistake even now, and we have all they these resources. They don't tell you about the. Uh... They don't tell you about the, the slick tires, you know. That you got to wait a little bit. Film that, what is it called? Yeah. The, the mess or whatever. Yeah, you got it. Uh, on yep. the tires. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would do is um, do a burnout before I left the the dealership. Oh, there you go, there you go, because and, that uh, that'll save you all the work. But the only thing is the front end too. You got to be careful with that because it's the same thing, ain't it? The front so end. The second you... thing I would do is 
when I, I, I wouldn't screw with the bike. When I bought a bike yeah. and I, I bought a ton from, ton from the dealerships over my years, mm. I would do the burnout in the parking lot, take it to the house, put it up on, I'd always have race spools for the bikes and put them on the stands. Yep. And I would put the, put the bike in gear, take a piece of, um, I think 120, 120 grit sandpaper okay. and do the edges. Oh, I was the guy on the street. The contact patch. Like where, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's probably right. the best I thing about bikes. Hard. I would take corners hard. Right? Me too. So yep. mm-hmm. Then the front wheel, same thing, except you can't put it in gear, so it takes a little longer. You just, you know, with, with the, the sandpaper, scrape, scrape, scrape. I never thought of that. And then I would feel comfortable with it. I never thought of that because uh, when I did end up getting my bike, it was, you know, brand new tires. And I was, as it is, I hadn't ridden a bike when I actually did end up buying one. I didn't, I haven't ridden a bike since I took my uh, my course. Since I took the course, and that was like three years earlier, so I've had my my uh, license pretty much forever, and then this was like the next time I was able to get my hands on a bike on that test drive, and they tell me, oh yeah, you got to be careful with the with the with the tires because they're still brand new, and dude, I was sweating bullets on that test drive. It was just around a parking. It was just like literally around the block. <laughs> it was literally around the block, and I was like, dude, I cannot dump this bike. I cannot screw this up because then it's mine. And I don't even know if I can handle it, and it was just nerve wracking. But yeah, that's that's uh that's a great idea. I never thought about like sanding down the contact. So then, because I'm the same way. What do you I have now, Chris? say again. What do you got? What do you got for a bike? Uh, it's an MT07. Um, so it's uh, six eighty nine cc. Uh, no, it's Yamaha. Yamaha. So I can send you. A, I'll send you a picture of it. Um, but it's a naked street bike. So it is in the upright position, but it is a two banger. So you have all that torque, and uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so it's a it's a cool bike, but the problem is I did wreck it. I did scr- I did uh, side oh! it. Yeah, I did. So now I gotta fix it before I can ride it again. It's not totaled, but it, it is it is uh, in a little rough shape. So it happens, I can you know. Wreck it. So. Come on, we all want to know. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so it was me. I was uh, being stupid, practicing wheelies, and then I finally was able to, after I got comfortable around in the parking lot, then I wanted to do one a little bit faster. So once I was comfortable, I took it out, and I'm like, all right. So the way wheelies work, there's two ways you can do it. You can clutch up, which is the way I learned, or you can just use the throttle. That's another way, but I always got nervous with the throttle. I felt like I had a little more control with the clutch. So clutch up. Doing the clutch up, getting it, great. Doing it, doing it, doing it. And then I'm like, all right, so let's try something a little faster. So that's probably in a parking lot. You're doing it at 16, 17 miles an hour. So this time it was 30 miles an hour. And I did it, you know, no no traffic. This wasn't during the day. This was like a late night. You know, I did, I did one thing I was is very cautious about it. The other thing about... Uh, <laughs> the other thing about motorcycles, oh, well, wheelies, is when you do go up, I use the rear brake and that brings it back down. So the rear brake, you tap the rear brake, it'll bring the front end down because you're slowing down. The rear wheel was putting all the power down. Tap the rear brake, slows down. Got the bike up. Forgot to put my foot on the rear brake. Bike goes up. And it went, I mean, 12 o'clock. I mean, it it was a noon. Like 12 o'clock, the bike was front end straight up. Let go of the, uh, and I mean, at that point, I can't, I didn't hold on to I'm like I I cannot hold on to this or else the bike could fall on top of me. So I I let go. My heels hit the ground 
and my butt hit the ground and I just slid and I'm sitting there in the middle of the road watching this bike without me still going at 12 o'clock <laughs> <laughs> still going at 12 o'clock so I'm just sitting there watching the bike and the bike is going without me and then it starts leaning and then just sparks everywhere and didn't hit any property didn't go anywhere it just stayed right in the middle of the road and it just came to a halt I run over to it pick it up turn it off you know and uh just wheel it to the side wheel it to the side of the road and then I came and picked it up later and that's all she wrote but uh now y'all know <laughs> it's funny now like because I didn't get hurt really I got a bruised tailbone you know what I mean but obviously I can't be mad it's my fault, right? I'm the one who did it to myself. I can't be upset about that. I can't be like all... I mean, trust me. I didn't want to look at the bike for a few days. I'm like, I just don't even... It's. I'm just going to pretend it's not there until I'm ready. And then, you know, once I assess the damage, it turned out not to be that bad. It's just going to take a little money to fix. But other than that, it's it's not... Nothing crazy. It's just, you know, it's a learning experience. You know, I'm, I'm obviously not going to be doing wheelies anymore. As fun as they may be. But uh, I don't know. I didn't expect that would be the way I would dump it. Because they tell you, you know, your first bike, you're always going to, you know, you're going to lay it down. You're going to, you know, it's always probably where you're going to do the most learning. So I get it. But me, it was just shooting for the moon and then landing on my ass instead. So that's the way it went. That's the way it went. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I loved it. But it was, it needed to happen. You know, I'm glad it happened the way it did and not in a serious situation, you know. Who do you got winning the uh, GP? Do you think Rossi can pull off another one, or do you think he's too old? Uh, no, I don't think he's too old. I think he loves he loves the sport enough to perform the way he should. And also, I think Rossi has way more experience than anybody else on the track. So I think he's not the type to get discouraged. He's not the type to give up. You know what I mean? I think he's doing this because he loves it. And I'm not saying he's not going to win, but you have some talented guys out there. Um, I think his name is Artem. Is that his name? Artem? Yep. So yep. he's doing really well too, and it's like, now is Marquez? Is he injured? He is. He is. So he's out. Yeah. So I mean, I think you have a lot of, you know, and and also was it? So you've had a lot of people up on the podiums that you haven't before too. It's almost like hands are changing a little bit, because KTM yeah. had had their first wins too. So it's like, dude, KTM's been a couple times on the podium this season too. So it's like, ah, it's tough to say, but I think Rossi is the safe bet. I mean, I feel like he smells blood in the water and he sees that it's attainable. He's going to he's gonna do it, especially if Marquez on is out. On, side, mm. on the flip side, you got to remember, he is older. And, and I will tell you this from experience. When you get older, mm. you don't see as well. Your reaction time isn't as quick. That's true. You don't take as many chances. You start second-guessing your injuries. That's true. That that stuff that stuff plays plays uh plays a little bit into your psyche when you're driving around at 200 miles an hour on track. Yeah, taking turns at 150 miles an hour, stuff like that is crazy. But um, yeah, I can I I didn't consider that too because, yeah, you may be mentally in the game, but your reflexes do take a hit after as time goes on. So too, and you're you're probably not going to break as late as the the younger guys. You know what I mean? And that's a big way that you can gain the upper hand if you're behind. Break late, you know, come in aggressive, come with the aggressive line, and then peel out. You know what I mean? Like, really lay the power down. And people who aren't, you know, younger guys just don't care. <laughs> they're just like, they're just like I want to win, I'm going to win. You know what I mean? I'm just going to go for it and 
you know, I've and I think lately you've seen a lot of guys with near misses. You know what I mean? Like they'll lose control, do a lot of that Marquez stuff where they pretty much fall off the bike and are able to stop yeah. the bike. <laughs> you're seeing a lot more of that. I mean, if you see this guy setting records and you're seeing this guy, you know, push the bike to the brink, like literally the line of feasible mechanics. And he's still like going right over that line and able to reel it back in. I think a lot of guys see that and they're like, all right, I'm, I feel like I'm just as good as, uh, as Marquez is. I'm going to push it just as hard. Why can't I? You know what I mean? And I think after seeing him do it so often and recover so often, you know, I think a lot of guys are taking those chances. And then also, but the thing is, he's a very gifted, talented, you know, rider. And so is his little brother. I think his little brother's coming up too. Aren't he's they? in the... He's in the the 250 class or the 500 class. He's not. Yeah. He's not in the GP yet. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the Moto. Was it Moto three? Yeah. Moto two. Yeah. Moto. Yep. Yep. And I think uh, they're also. Uh, I think they're gonna have the chance to run together too, at some point. I think he's already coming. He's already. He's at Honda right now, I believe. So I think yep. Honda picked That'd him up. Cool. Yeah. So that would be cool. And I mean, he's just as talent. He's he's he seems to be very talented. Um. But that's how I feel about it. I think a lot of guys are willing to push the limits now that they've seen somebody do it repeatedly and come out with, you know, way bigger rewards than, you know, what the risk really is. So how do you... At the end of the day, you don't, they don't get enough credit. And Mm -hmm. this goes for any race, any race. Mm -hmm. I love, um, uh, what's the car? Not IndyCar. Is it IndyCar? Uh, That is a, that is a class. Yeah. The, um... The short, the, with the you know the wheels are way out. The real race cars, the F ones, the ones that go Monaco, Monaco GP. Is it? Is it? it yeah, it's Indy because F one is its own. Yeah, so it would be uh, yeah. Indy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I love the uh, the Indy car races and um, these guys. Anybody that races the vehicle, they don't get enough credit as athletes. You're right. You really have to be in top physical condition to do stuff like that. Your neck needs to be strong. Your your core needs to be strong. You have to be able to have. Um, just just quick reflexes mentally you need to be sharp like yep. that's that's the same stuff that people ask of you when you're an MMA fighter and or a football player yeah like you need all that stuff. exactly and you still have to make weight to some degree because your weight matters when you're talking about like a motorcycle or if you're talking sure. about your weight matters it's true it's true your weight has something yeah your weight has something to do with it and that's why you see all these guys doing all this physical work and you couldn't have chubby guy on a freaking 600 you know you couldn't weigh just half the weight of the bike itself you can't do that and then the guy over here is like 120 pounds with all the fluids in the machine and all that and it's just like dude if you're like you know 20 30 pounds over that you're gonna you're gonna get taxed you know what i mean so those guys are making weight too to some degree you know but that, that's also an aspect of it. Not only do you have to be mentally there and, you know, understand that this machine will kill you at any moment. Being Coming face-to-face with that for how many laps? 20 laps? Something 20. like that? Yeah. You have to do that for 20 laps. And then on top of that, you have other people taking other people out, you know, when they wipe out. You know what I mean? When they low side, when they high side. You got to also be careful with how many well, how many riders are on the track at, at, at a third, like, 20. 20? 20. So you do have a sea of people, especially probably the most uh, dangerous part of the the race is right in the beginning. Everybody's coming off the line. Everybody's trying to find their line in the first turn, second turn, and then third turn. And, you know, it takes like a lap or two, and then they start separating a little bit. And then it becomes a little bit more of a mental game and physical, you know, stamina game. But 
they don't get enough credit because they're doing a lot of the things that other people in sports already do. And they're risking life <laughs> on top of all of that. Right. They're risking their own lives. So it's, yeah, I definitely agree. It's uh, one of those things. But not a lot of people know about, you know, not a lot of people follow that. And they don't really understand how much it really takes to, to be one of those professional drivers. It's not just driving. You know what I mean? It's That's a whole separate level. Let's flip it for a second. I have a question for you. Yeah. And maybe you can help me with this. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that the American public has not accepted Muay Thai kickboxing as a popular sport when UFC is so big and boxing is so big? You're getting kind of the, the best of both worlds. You're getting the upper and lower body attacks. We've tried this before with um, Invicta did it and then um, – uh, who's the other guys uh, that did the, the show? Um, shit. In, uh, in Connecticut, they were there. Uh, lion fights. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have um, more Muay Thai fights? Or why is it more not, not as widely accepted in the United States? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We didn't come up with it. Same reason. Same reason. Same reason rugby's not big. Same reason soccer's not big. Same reason... Uh, Croquette is not big. Same thing. Same. It's all the same thing. the The biggest thing that I can see that they adopted was golf. That can that to me that is the biggest thing the United States in in terms of sport has adopted. They came up with the UFC. We, I mean, we came up with the UFC. We came up with Bellator. We came up with all these different you know genres of a sport, so to speak. And the big ones that the world loves, we typically don't. And to me, that's the only thing that stands out in my mind. We didn't come up with it, so we're not going to support it like we support all our other endeavors. That would be my take on it. So would you, would you say that the UFC is almost a unifier of nations? Yeah. It just happens to be – it just happened to come from here. But yeah. Yep. I feel like that's something that uh, – That's pretty interesting. We, we broke ground there, and we're proud of that. As we always have been, it's, it's our history. You know, we do things like that all the time. So when we do something, we like to be proud of our achievements. And I think they are not. It's not a race issue. It's nothing like that. It's it's the fact that it's kind of another not another tip to the hat to us, another notch in our belt. And if we can bring everybody around with us and go and do those things, of course we're going to take that too. So I think that's kind of just how they see it and it's it might be even more of a subconscious thing than anything else you know what i mean i just think it's sometimes we think we're the best you know we think we're the greatest and i think that's just the the way it is huh i wish there was more more uh muay thai fights in the area i really do like you know quality stuff i just i muay thai is not my my primary love i like muay thai mm-hmm. i have my crew in muay thai but but I, I I appreciate the art for what it is. I really know right. the strategy behind it. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of these guys I'm following on Instagram, uh, Liam and Andy Badco. That's the name of their right. team, Bad Company. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal, phenomenal Muay Thai fighters. And then you have your regular Muay Thai fighters like San Chai and Yo Ting Lai and mm-hmm. uh, Lord Zilla's coming up. These guys, I mean, they're just they're just real masters of their craft. Right, and I wish that we could see them more here and not watch them on YouTube. Okay, here's a question for you: How did you find out about Muay Thai? Who 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 around you was like, "Hey, have you seen Muay Thai?" Or, or where did you learn about Muay Thai? Because when you learned about Muay Thai, we didn't like I said, we didn't have the same 
resources we do now. So you can't just see this somewhere. You know, it's not just on cable television. It's that's not a thing. So how do you come across that? You ready? Go ahead. Do you remember you remember the movie Bloodsport with Van Damme? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the guy that kept his hands out straight yep, like yep, this with the knuckles out yep. and he kept telling him to kick him in the ribs? Yep. And I'm like, wow, that guy's really tough. Maybe I should, I should look into that. <laughs> still true. I but think then, still true. Then I saw um, a real fighter. Uh, I think it was 15 when I saw the UFC for the first time. Uh, mm. His name was Patrick Smith. He was a Muay Thai fighter. Mm. And he looked like a bad dude. He was all muscles. And he was jacked. And mm. you know, he had his little short shorts on. And I'm like, what is this Muay Thai stuff? You know, let's check this out. Is this like kickboxing? Is this like that Van Damme kickboxing movie? What is this? And he was throwing elbows, you know, down elbows. Right. Some, I remember he was beating somebody with down elbows. And then he went up against Gracie. And I'm like, oh, dude, this little guy is going to get wrecked. Like, this, this Muay Thai guy is going to destroy him. And then you and learned then about jujitsu. This little skinny 170 pound <laughs> dude, you know, just like, just chokes him out with his own gi. I'm like, what is this? What is this crap? You know? It was, just, it was funny to see, but that's how I heard of Muay Thai. And, you know, as I got, um, you know, into jujitsu and then I split off and started doing MMA, I, mm-hmm. I learned about Muay Thai from my coach. Yeah. You know, and then, then, you know, when I had, when I got my crew, um, about, I think it was two years ago, this guy, um, do you remember Ajon Nelson? Yeah. He he's still training with you. Are you still, is he still training you? I, I haven't seen him in a while. He's in Western Mass, but um, mm. Ajon really got me to love Muay Thai because he showed me. Um, so many different perspectives on it, you know, mm. the culture we had to learn, you know, the, uh, the white crew, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the pre-fight right. you know, dance, but he, he explained to me what it represents, you know, and, and every school has their own white crew. Every person has their own white crew. So mm. he, the one he taught me was from his school and his organization. It was pretty cool. And, um, I fell in love with it and, um, started checking out the Thai culture, you know, we started eating Thai food. And I was like, this stuff's working good. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, I looked into going to Thailand. We're looking to send one of our guys there now. Um, he's a, he wants to be a fighter. He's young. He's 19. Mm. He's six foot, six foot five, 320 pounds, a big boy. Wow. And, um, he's got nothing going on right now. You know, he's got a job, he's got parents, but he's got no girlfriend. He's got no kids. He's got no, you know, um, uh, rent. He lives with his parents. And I'm like, dude, if Perfect. there was ever a time for you to go to Thailand, Perfect. now's the time. So, we're looking to set him up over at Tiger Muay Thai and, um, you know, keep him on site there so he doesn't go into the city and end up getting sold for parts mm-hmm. online. Uh, you know, uh, get just get him some training. You know, when he comes back, hopefully he'll be better at his striking and see where he goes from there. But yeah. it's cheap. Thailand's cheap. You can, yeah. you, can, you can live in Thailand like a king on, you know, two grand a month. You know, you'd be a king. Yeah. So... My professor told me they're looking for a black belt instructor at Tiger Muay Thai. <laughs> I think I know a guy. Two grand a month. Two grand a month. Pretty nice. Yeah, definitely tempting for sure. But that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it here. Um, we've been going for almost two hours. It's almost been two hours. Oh, yeah. Really? Wow. So uh, I'm definitely gonna have you back on the show. Um, it's been a uh, a pleasure obviously i mean i don't think i have to say that i think everybody can tell um <laughs> we talked about a whole range of things and that's that's what i love about all this you can you can get a look at somebody else's point of view and 
you know, you can have a conversation about it, you know, and I think you can't do that very often in today's world. You can't have an open conversation regardless of your point of view. You know what I mean? I think that's very few and far between. And I like that this facilitates that, you know what I mean? We can have an open conversation about something and be, you know, people can still get along. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? It's it's something that I, I love. And thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciated your time. That's great. I appreciate you having me, Chris. And, um, you know, for anybody listening out there, if you're in the area and you want to come meet the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Chris Suarez, you're going to have to get him to come back down to my school. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I didn't know when. I didn't know where. But I'm like, we're almost done. It's got to be soon. It's got to be soon. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I know. Uh, SpiroMMA.com. Yep. Uh, if anybody's interested in coming down to check out the school and um you know and uh i appreciate you man when are we going to get you back on the mat uh i was talking about it actually if the the last episode i was talking about it with freddie ani and you know who's also been hitting me up uh dying to go rosa nelson rosa yeah so he's been like when are we training and i'm like you gotta give me a minute i mean we'll get there but i gotta i gotta make sure that it's something that i can i can do you know what i mean so it's it's uh i want to make sure uh, i definitely know when i get back in there it's going to be like a like like breathing air <laughs> you know what i mean I've, it's like uh it's a niche i don't know it's if you've uh, ever done something like uh any any sort of martial art discipline it's it's a whole different world and it's something that you you doesn't matter where you came from doesn't matter uh what background you've ever had it doesn't matter if you're rich if you're poor if you were born with a spoon in your mouth or if you're struggling for your next meal everybody's the same you start from zero in there and i think that's something that you don't really know until you see and meet all these people and that's something that i miss you know i mean i miss being able to be whoever i want to be and however hard i work is going to be what shows you know what i mean that's something that nothing I'll can... I'll leave it with this. I'll yeah. leave it with this, Chris. Jiu-Jitsu is like an ex-girlfriend you regretted breaking up with. Um, <laughs> when you leave her, you always wonder what it would be like if you stayed with her. Yeah, I, that's, 100%. That's really what it is. 100%. <laughs> but all right, Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm definitely going to have you on again. Um, but... Uh, go to uh, Spiro's Mixed Martial Arts Academy. Go check them out. Great people. Um, I spent time with them, and you know, I it, it taught me a lot. So go check them out. They're great. All right. Thank you. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. Um, coming up uh, will be probably a solo episode. I might have a guest. Haven't decided. But um, thank you all for listening. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace. <laughs>